This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I've been here for a while, and I've seen a lot of the coaches in this state coach big football games. I've seen Mike Riley, Chip Kelly go head-to-head. I watched Mike Bellotti go at it with Dennis Erickson. I watched uh, Mario Cristobal have his moment of truth or two in big football games. Pac-12 championship game. A Rose Bowl comes to mind. I think we're at a crossroads with Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith. It's a very interesting place. We've watched Dan Lanning arrive, win 10 football games, largely uncelebrated by Duck fans in year number one. I think a lot of people at Oregon expect 10 wins. And we've watched Jonathan Smith at Oregon State take a program that, frankly, wasn't worth a damn. Like, literally, when Gary Anderson left, the program had flatlined. It's not the kind of worst-to-first ascension with uh, the public that that coach prime is having in colorado but what jonathan smith has done is remarkable but we now have arrived at this moment of truth for oregon and oregon state it comes in week four of the pac-12 season it's dan lanning at home at autzen stadium against coach prime in a big game a lot of eyeballs abc television and it's jonathan smith at oregon state traveling to the palouse where Oregon State will play a Washington State team that has also been left behind in the Pac-12 conference. It is ranked team against ranked team in both games and in both cases. And as much as we want to judge Oregon and Oregon State against each other, this comes a weekend, and here comes a weekend, where we are clearly and evidently going to judge them against two other Pac-12 teams that are both ranked A lot of exposure. Fox TV in the case of Oregon State and Washington State. ABC, as I mentioned, with Oregon and Colorado. And I feel like we have these big moments. Like you talk about Heisman Trophy campaigns having signature moments. And you can say that. Like we look at Caleb Williams and go, okay, look at his season. Is is he having a signature moment? We say that about Heisman campaigns and Heisman winners. What does Michael Penix Jr. need? What does Bo Nix need? Oh, they need a signature moment against a great opponent. I would argue that we have arrived at an opportunity for Dan Lanning and an opportunity for Jonathan Smith to present signature moments in their season as head coaches. What did Dan Lanning win last year except 10 football games? Well, he won a bowl game. That was impressive. He had some solid wins, some nice moments late in the season against Utah and Autzen Stadium. Nice win. But I would argue that we're still waiting for Dan Lanning to have that big moment, that big win, that game that we can all look to and point to and say, that's why Oregon hired Dan Lanning. That opportunity is presenting itself this weekend at Autzen Stadium as Colorado and the hype train come to town. 
And for Jonathan Smith, I think it's the same thing. Like, he won 10 games a year ago. Oregon State didn't just make a bowl game. It punched its way into a bowl game with 10 wins and a great season and a come-from-behind victory in the Civil War football game against Oregon. But I'm waiting for that signature moment from Jonathan Smith as well in this season, the moment that tells us all that, hey, this isn't just going to be a 8-9-10 win season. It could be something else. And I think he gets that opportunity on Saturday in the Palouse. So what I'm saying is this is this rare occasion where we've got college football starting at 12.30 Pacific time and a second game starting at 4 o'clock Pacific time. I don't know what else you have planned for your Saturday. You might have youth soccer games. You might have a, a lawn to go mow. You might have you know stuff to do. You might need to build a fence. But I'm, I'm thinking you might need to do some of these things at halftime of those games. It is remarkable to see both of these programs and both of these coaches in position. And I am left thinking that this isn't just week four of the college football season. It is for everybody else. But in the Pacific Northwest and in our region, it's a moment of truth for both of these coaches. And I think you get these pivot points at different points of the season. I want your phone calls at 503-417-7575. I want you to tell me which of these two coaches, which of these two programs has the bigger opportunity and which has the bigger obstacle in front of them? I think you could argue that Colorado and Coach Prime coming to town, great opportunity for Dan Lanning, wonderful moment to, for him to bring a bunch of recruits into the building and tell them how much uh, Oregon football matters, how much more than Colorado, Oregon matters, what it is to have the Nike machine and the marketing machine behind you. I think you've got a uh, ABC TV audience and uh, you know, last week we saw 9 million-plus viewers tune in to watch Colorado and Colorado State. Feels like there could be a big opportunity for Oregon to get a lot of eyeballs on, on the program. This is everything Oregon ever wanted. I think arms wide open if you're Dan Lanning. Like, it's just like, you know, uh, it, this, is, this is a moment that Oregon football is not only prepared for but wanted for itself for the last 15 years, and it gets an opportunity with Coach Prime coming to town. And frankly, i got to tell you, I think Oregon is a much better team. It's a huge opportunity with a big advantage for Dan Lanning. Oregon State, meanwhile, like, you know, people will look and go, hey, the Pac-2, they got left behind. It's Oregon State. It's Washington State. We're going to get into a lot of that and what, could, what the future could hold for those two programs on today's show. But I think if you're, if you're Jonathan Smith, this is a great opportunity to – Hold yourself above, uh, you know, other ranked teams. Like, you know, it's the difference between, you know, Jonathan Smith as a as a team that is ranked. Can you remember if you're an Oregon State fan how good it felt to finally get ranked and get ranked in back-to-back weeks last season? I think there was a lot of non-believers who watched the early part of last season who didn't think Oregon State truly had turned a corner. And then by the middle to the late part of the season, it was evident that like this was a really good team. It was locked up, uh, you know, play for play, series for series against a Washington team that won 11 games, came from behind to beat a 10-win Oregon team. It was a great season for Oregon State. But now, if you're going to take a step forward, and I think Oregon State is ready to do that, you enter a game against a Washington State team who has just figured out what it is to be ranked and to matter, and you go into their building as a favorite and you win that football game, that's the kind of thing that a really good program does. And so I think we're at a, at a pivot point as well for Jonathan Smith and the Beavers. But you tell me, who has the bigger opportunity? Who has the bigger obstacle? 
Is it Coach Prime in Colorado and all the hype and the energy and the possible distraction for Oregon? Or is it the Palouse in a road game against Washington State, a very good defense? You tell me. We got Jonathan Smith on today's show. He'll be with us later in the program. Tomorrow, Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, will be all over both of these games and a whole bunch of other stuff that is going on. But I want to get out to the phone lines. Let's go right away to Mark in Portland. Mark's going to lead us off. Mark, bigger opportunity, bigger obstacle. Uh, bigger obstacle. The Beavers are on the road. I, th- th- this, to me, is, uh, and I love you to death, it's a dumb question. For Oregon, it's an automatic. They have to win. <laughs> And if they win like 38 to 35, no Duck fan is going to feel safe about USC at Utah. And Washington, I think, is the Ducks' first real game of the year. So if they lose one of these games they shouldn't, they're done. Everything that, you know, a Duck fan would want is over. For the Beavers, this is – every Duck fan would know that going to Washington State and winning a game is very difficult. So it's fortunate that it's going to be pretty good weather, and I I think they're going to beat them. But if Oregon Oregon doesn't – dominate Colorado uh, it's it's not going to be a positive it's going to be like beating Texas Tech if we have a game like that it's not going to feel good John you could just look at the point spreads and see what game is more important so you like Oregon State you, you like Oregon State to win that game I do because they're the better football team to me they're the best football team but but I have a rule in gambling if you don't like the home team don't bet the game mm. <laughs> so the home field advantage What's 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 that going to be? I mean, are the Beavers yeah. going to go in there and function without doing what the Ducks have been doing and get nine or ten penalties? Or are they going to play a, a clean football game without turnovers? You just don't know. Yeah. That's what's, you know. And I don't really know how good Washington State is. Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I think they're pretty good. Sorry to cut you off there. I think they're pretty good. I think that the home field in Pullman and I think the home field at Autzen Stadium, and I frankly think the home field at Research Stadium, it's worth more than three points. And I, I agree that Oregon State's going to win that game. I haven't decided if they're going to cover the spread, though, because I keep looking at that game and I go, it's going to be played in the 20s. I think the winner of that game, I think Oregon State can get to about 28 points against Washington State's defense, maybe a little more, maybe 30, 28, 30, 27 to 30, somewhere in that range. And I think Washington State can score in the low 20s. So I think it's, it's a game. But does it become, you know, if the spread is two and a half right now, if it goes to three, does it become too much to overcome? I don't know. Bigger obstacle, bigger opportunity. I would argue it's not a dumb question because I guess maybe I'm phrasing it wrong. What I'm saying is I think there's a huge opportunity for Oregon. I think having Colorado at home in your stadium with you having the better team and so many people tuned in to watch it, including a bunch of recruits and a whole bunch of media members who are interested to see what's going to happen in this game, I think it's a golden opportunity for Oregon. It's why the Ducks have to show up and they have to play well. I think in some cases, it's a bigger opportunity for Oregon, even as a 20-and-a-half or 21-point favorite in this game, because of all of the eyeballs that Coach Prime and Colorado and the hype train are going to bring to Eugene. I think it's a no-brainer that there is a huge opportunity for the Ducks. And, oh, by the way, you have the better team, Dan Lanning. So I think great opportunity for Dan Lanning, and maybe that's what I mean by that when I say opportunity versus obstacle but i think it's a massive opportunity for oregon football and it's everything oregon football has ever wanted meanwhile the bigger obstacle i do think is washington state and playing a game on the palouse i think maybe aside from rice eccles stadium in salt lake city i would say that the palouse is the most difficult place for a good team to go win a game 
And what I mean by that is, you know, we all have and we all see home field advantage on a week-to-week basis in college football. But there's just some places where good teams even go in and struggle. We saw Utah a few years ago come into Research Stadium and lose a football game. Had a whole bunch of punts blocked, didn't play well on special teams. It was one of those cases where a good team, even on the road, uh, doesn't quite look like itself. And I think that's what Jonathan Smith and Oregon State are up against. And that's why I say bigger obstacle for the Beavers. I think it's a massive obstacle to encounter that environment in a pretty good team. Of the teams that are playing, I actually would argue that if I had to rank right now Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State, and Colorado, those four teams, one to four, I think Colorado is number four. And I think the question becomes, who's one, two, three? And right now, I would put Oregon one, Oregon State two, and I would have flip-flopped those teams a week ago. I didn't like the performance that Oregon State put up against San Diego State. And I put Washington State third, and I'll put Colorado fourth. Stephen Vaughn, you tell me. Opportunity and obstacles. When you look at Colorado, Oregon, you look at Oregon State, Washington State, what do you see? Yeah, I uh, I kind of agree with you. I think Oregon has the bigger opportunity here. And the reason is, is it, it's the eyeballs with Coach Prime in Colorado. They're coming in, and they're undefeated, and everyone's still talking about them. So if Oregon can do what they're supposed to do, and I know the spread is huge, if Oregon wins by a big amount, I don't know how much it elevates Oregon, but it does. It just puts more eyeballs on Oregon and saying, you know what, we're a real team. After that Texas Tech you know, performance where they probably should have lost that game the way that they played, they, they kind of squeaked that one out. They can get a good, um, you know, a good performance on the books and have a lot of people watch that game. So I do think there's a lot of opportunity for Oregon where with Oregon State, Washington State, yeah, it's a fun game. It's a good game. Washington State has a nice win over Wisconsin, and you know the Pac-2 is a fun thing to talk about. But I don't think it's going to – if Oregon State wins, I don't think it elevates Oregon State to a different level. I think it's kind of like, okay, well, Oregon State's really good, and we know that. So I, I do think that Oregon has a better opportunity to elevate itself, surprisingly, even though they're playing Colorado, who we think isn't as good. But uh, I would also agree with you that the bigger challenge is Washington State. On the road up in the Palouse, that's a tough game to go up and win. I, I'm with you. I don't know what I think about that game yet. I'm still going back and forth on it, but um, I, I think Oregon has a big opportunity. If they, if they do what they're supposed to do and they put it on Colorado, I know there's going to be excuses built in with Travis Hunter being hurt and you know Colorado playing with all the emotion the last couple of games that they've, you know, they ran out of steam, but I do think that a lot of people are going to be watching and a lot of people will say, okay, well, th- this is the Oregon team that we thought we were going to get at the start of the season and they're back on track to where they could be. So, get, you know, I think Oregon has to show up, like you said. It's a huge opportunity for Oregon, and I do think uh, I disagree with you on this one. I think Colorado is a better team than Washington State. I would take Colorado over them right now. No, no. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no way. Not, no, Washington State's better. Washington State, you know, you saw what Washington State did to Colorado State. They have a common opponent. They blew him off the field, scored, put a 50 on him. I mean, we'll find out. We'll find out later on this season, John. Come but, on. Uh, I, you know, I think Colorado is better. So, uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I'm... Spoken like a guy who <laughs> has Colorado going to a bowl game. That's right, baby. That's right. <laughs> I still think you got a shot to win that now. I, I'm going to be end up being wrong about that. But, look, I want to say something else that, that it, it, I think people are thinking but not saying out loud. Colorado's got better, more proven, more experienced coordinators than Oregon. It's, there's no doubt that Charles Kelly on the defensive side of the ball, guy who coached at Florida State, uh, is is a more experienced coordinator than Tosh Lapoy. And it, there's no doubt that you have Sean Lewis on the offensive side of the ball at Colorado calling the plays. He is just a more evolved, more experienced offensive coordinator than Will Stein. 
There's a huge advantage for Colorado when it comes to the coordinator-on-coordinator matchup in the Oregon-Colorado game. I think Oregon has better players. I think Oregon has the home field. I think Oregon has the best player in this game in Bo Nix at quarterback. I'll pick Oregon to win the game all day long. But I think the great equalizer in this game could be those two coordinators, Sean Lewis and Charles Kelly, against Tosh Lapoy, who hasn't been that good at Oregon, and Will Stein, who's relatively inexperienced uh, as a Power 5 conference play caller. That is an, an advantage that Colorado will seize upon and try to make matter as the chess match of this game unfolds. Now, we're going to find out, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and O's. That's what coaches will tell you in the end. And I think that wins out. But if this game is somehow close, early at halftime, late in the game, if Colorado pulls to within a score or two, keep an eye on that coordinator-on-coordinator matchup because the closer this game gets, the longer it gets, the further along it gets, the more of an advantage that Colorado has with those play callers. I need more from Tosh Lapoy on the defensive side of the ball. Hell of a recruiter. Need to see him adjust, and I need to see Dan Lanning's defense, Tosh Lapoy's defense, whoever's defense it is, has to play better for Oregon. And it's up against a formidable task in Shador Sanders and some playmakers on the Colorado side, and certainly Sean Lewis, the offensive play caller. And just along those lines, I also need to see Will Stein. I need to see him call his best game, the best game he's ever called, against a defense that, frankly, is playing with one arm tied behind its back. There's no Travis Hunter on the field. So it's not just Colorado against Oregon. It's not just Bo Nix, Shador Sanders. It's not just the players. I want people to pay attention this week to the opportunity that Oregon's play callers on the offensive and defensive side of the ball have. It is a massive challenge, and they're up against more experienced, more proven, more seasoned coordinators. Keep an eye on that. What would Could you, be a factor in this game. Would you say if Oregon wins this game, this would be Dane Lanning's most important win so yes. far as an Oregon coach? Yeah, because I look back and I go, okay, the bowl game, he won the bowl game. He won the Utah game down the stretch last year. But, he, you know, Oregon lost the Washington game. Oregon lost the Oregon State game despite leading 17 points in the fourth quarter. Maybe, maybe those were, UCLA. Those were bad losses. UCLA was number nine when they beat yeah. them. BYU, number 12. Okay, yeah, but it's been a while. Okay, give them those, but it's been a while. I think this would be the biggest win. Forget the rankings. It's just from a profile standpoint, there is a lot of risk and a lot of opportunity in this game for Oregon. I, and I think Oregon's going to win it. You know, I think Oregon's going to score somewhere between 45 and 50 points. You know, I'll put them at 45 to 52 points. And I, don't, I just don't think Colorado can score with Oregon on that level. What, what, do you, what are you thinking when, you, when it comes to the point spread and or the point score right now? You don't have to give your official pick. We do that on Thursdays. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right now, I think, I think I'm leaning with Colorado. I think Colorado can score enough with them because I'm with you. I need to see more out of Tosh Lapoy and his defense and Dane Lane and his defense. Like, I, they haven't been great in their Oregon tenure yet in the first, you know, 16 games that they've coached here. And I, I do question that. I, you know, you have to get pressure on Shadour Sanders. If you don't get pressure on him, he's going to tear you apart and he's going to get yardage down the field. That's just how, you know, he's a really good player. He's an NFL caliber quarterback. And you talk about Sean Lewis, the offense coordinator, he's going to drop some plays. So you got to get pressure. I just need to see it out of Oregon. I haven't seen it in the Dan Lanning era yet. I want to see it. I want to believe it. But again, it's like you said. He has to win these type of games. These are the type of games that when Chip Kelly was the coach, they dominated. They would always beat the teams that they're supposed to, and they would dominate these teams. 
Oregon hasn't been doing that the last couple seasons, and then we didn't do it last year with Dan Lanning. Haven't done it this year. You got to see that with uh, you know Coach Lanning coming into this game against Colorado because you're 21 point favorites. Like you got to dominate this game, and yeah. I just don't know if I'm ready to say that Oregon can do that. I, I think that 21 point spread scares me like a backdoor cover scares me because I think Shador Sanders in Colorado can score in the 20s. I just don't think they can get in the 30s or 40s, and that's what it's going to take to win this game. So right now I would lean, like 21 points scares me. That's a lot of points to give up to an offense that I think can score 21 or 24. So all of a sudden that puts Oregon, that puts a lot of pressure on Oregon. Like Oregon's got to score 45 to 50, like I say. I mean, there's, there's just no margin for error. And oh, by the way, the clock's running when they go out of bounds. So it's a shortened game. So I, I don't like the 21. I keep paying attention to that. I keep waiting for it to drop down, and I think it will before kickoff. I think we'll see it regress some, but I I was really surprised to see it go above 17, 17 and a half. And when it blew through that number, it was just evident that Vegas was trying to get some money on the other side of the equation. Well, well think about what we were talking about last week, John. But like, I, I thought it would be right around 9 to 10. And then Colorado has that bad game, and it balloons up. So for that reason, like, I kind of think 21's a little too much. Like, we're over. Was it a bad game, though? Because, like, I mean, they were not that impressive against Nebraska. They were, defensively, they were not impressive at all against TCU. They won all the games, but I don't know if it was that bad of a game. I, I thought it was their best game because they showed some resilience. Yeah, I mean, you could you could argue that. Uh, I, I think you could definitely be right. We'll find out on Saturday what it is. I, I don't think that they played very well. I don't think that they were very good in that game. I thought they let the emotions get to them because at the first game against TCU, they had four, four penalties in that game. And then against Colorado State, they kind of lost their composure. So we'll see how they react when they go down to Autzen in that type of environment. Maybe they lose their composure again, and it's just rough. But, you know, I, I want to believe that Colorado is a, actually a well-coached team that is pretty disciplined. The latest on Lincoln Riley and USC, plus Justin Fields popping off. We'll have it all in Punch It Audio coming up. I spent a lot of time belly aching about social media. Let's be real. It's much easier to sit back and bitch and moan about, you know, social media. Uh, Oregon State football put out a little video on Twitter a couple hours ago. I just retweeted it. And, uh, Stephen, check it out if you get a chance. But uh, it's Jonathan Smith behind the scenes talking to his team and informing Jeremiah Noga that he is on scholarship. Those videos, like, where players get a scholarship or NFL players are told they make the roster, that does not get old to me. Love that. So I love seeing that. We're going to play some punch and audio, the best sound from all around. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Justin Fields. I need to play better, he says. Punch it. You guys' jobs are to get clicked, so it's like, when you take my quote out of context, when, when you just say that, if you take the picture on the inside out, like, y'all are trying to split, split us up as a city. I'm not blaming anything on the coaches. I'm never going to blame anything on the coaches, never going to blame anything on my teammates. I will take every, whatever happens in the game, I will take all the blame. I don't care. It's a drop pass. It should have been a pass. Put it on me. But 
Never will you hear anything come out of my mouth to where I will blame it on somebody else in this organization. My teammates, never will you hear that. So I just want to clear that up and just know that like I need to play better. That's it. Point blank. If, if y'all, that's that's what I should have said. Okay, you hear him there, right? Never, never is he going to blame. Never is he going to put it on teammates and coaches. Except that's exactly what Justin Fields did. You know, and this is why he has to come out and do it. Like, you tell me. Here's, here he is. Things that I didn't like, I felt like, you know, I wasn't necessarily playing my game. Uh, I felt like I was kind of robotic and, you know, not just, not not, not playing like myself. Uh, my goal this week is just to, you know, say effort and just go out there and, you know, play football how I know how to play football. Thinking less and just going out there and, you know, playing off of instincts rather than, you know, so much, so to say, info in my head, data in my head, and literally just going out there playing football. When you say thinking less, what do you think was causing you to think so much, maybe think too much? Um, you know, could be, uh, you know, uh, coaching. You know, can't be thinking about that when the game comes. I prepare myself throughout the week, and then when the game comes, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's time to play free at that point. Kind of blaming other people for putting stuff in his head? I don't know. Justin Fields feels like it's... Uh... The era is kind of winding to an end. It just hasn't happened. And I and I had another thought, you know, as I kind of listened to him talk there. You can feel the, the angst. You can feel the disappointment. You can feel the pressure that's on him right now. And it just hasn't worked out. And that's what, you know, it doesn't, he's not alone. When you look at young quarterbacks who come into the league and get drafted by teams who expend a significant amount of energy and draft capital getting, if it doesn't happen, you often see a little bit of patience. But, you know, he's a 24-year-old guy. He was big draft pick. I saw him at Ohio State. What, what, what does he mean by info in his head? You mean like scouting and watching film and figuring out what to do? Like, I don't understand what he's complaining about by getting info in his head. Like, the coaches are trying to help him be the best quarterback he can. What, he, he, he can't make the reads? Is that what he's trying to say? Like, he just wants to go out and play backyard football, play, you know, yeah. schoolyard? I don't know. I don't get it. Meanwhile, you got the defensive coordinator, Alan Williams, resigning, you know, two, you know, two hours ago. So, it's, you know, he's not the only problem. I think there's just some... There's some organizational issues going on. And, you know, as a guy who's hovering around 70 with his quarterback rating, a couple touchdowns, three interceptions this year, hasn't been good for him. But I, I, I just thought it was interesting that he, he's basically saying, I need to go out and be allowed to play free. I got too many people telling me what to do. Coaching. Don't, don't coach me. DJ Uyunglele says he needs to be better. So you have too many things in his head? Here's Oregon State's quarterback, Punch. Yeah, no, I didn't feel very good. I didn't I didn't feel like it was a good game. Wasn't very happy with how I played. Definitely got to play better going into this week against Washington State. Great defense we're going against. Uh, but overall, man, I thought there was some good stuff in there. But, yeah, no, definitely. Just got to play better. Got to play better. Got to be better. They're going to need DJ to be good on the Palouse if they're going to win that game. Because Washington State obviously saw some things on film that Brady Hoke and San Diego State were doing that will it will try to duplicate. So hopefully DJ and Oregon State 
We'll adjust to that. What do you think was wrong with DJ on Saturday? Because, you know, 14 for 30, one touchdown, two picks, and the one touchdown he has was a screen pass to Gould who busted for yeah. that 75-yard. It wasn't like it was the, for the throw. Well, what's wrong with DJ? And is, is it fixable, or is this something that maybe we're going to see against better defenses? He, from even in the San Jose State game when he had better numbers, I felt like he was a little mechanical, that he, th- he, that he appears to be thinking and not reacting. He's waiting for receivers to be open, and he's not the most accurate passer, but I don't think Oregon State needs him to be a guy who completes 75% of his passes. He doesn't need to be that kind of quarterback. But he, I think he was something like 13 of 29 on every other throw but the screen pass. Yeah. And it bothered me that he missed badly a couple times. It cost him one interception on an overthrow. It just, he didn't look good. He didn't look comfortable back there. And he didn't look comfortable at times in the San Jose State game in week one. He looked calm, but not comfortable. So I'm left thinking that I, I think Oregon State was trying some new things. I think they had opened some new pages in their playbook. And I think what we saw in the field was a little bit of communication, a little bit of overthought. And it just tells me that if you're going to give him the playbook, you better turn those pages slowly and make sure he absorbs all of them. And I think I think Jonathan Smith knows that. But I, I, I was thinking at different points of the San Diego State game, i got to be honest with you, I was looking at the sideline going, I wonder if Aiden Childs could make these plays. Well, it's the thing we talked about in the offseason is DJ doesn't have to go out and throw for 300 yards. He just can't be throwing interceptions. And against San Diego State, he throws for under 50% and throws two interceptions. Like, you're going to lose those games in the Pac-12. So DJ's just got to make the smart plays, make the easy plays. And I think Oregon State will be fine. But it's when he makes those mistakes, that's what it's going to cost him. Trent Bray, defensive coordinator, Oregon State, talking about Cam Ward in the Washington State offense. Punch it. Yeah, he's, he's making good decisions with the football. Um, he's always been good at buying time until receivers come open. Um, and if anything, he's probably taken off a couple more times this year than he normally would have last year. So I think that's been when to take off, when not to. He's really grown there. Biggest, biggest matchup on the field to me is the Oregon State defense against a better-than-advertised Washington State offense. Washington State's been better this year. Ben Arbuckle, the play caller, is like 27 years old. You know, his quarterback's like 23. Yeah, these guys have really good synergy. And you can tell that Cam Ward is more comfortable. Trent Bray did a number on Washington State last year. They scored 10 points. They were inept in that game at Reeser Stadium. Oregon State won it pretty easily. I was surprised by that. Can he duplicate that? Will Oregon State control the line of scrimmage the way that they did a year ago? That is a big question. Deion Sanders on Good Morning America said there's never a bad day. Punch it. It's no way that I could even have a remotely bad day. I'm here with 120 athletes that are just, I I love them to life. I treat them like they're my sons. But I'm here with my sons. Three of my sons, two play on the team. One runs the social media. And my daughter plays for the CU basketball team. So I am living the life I love, and I love the life I live. Living and loving Coach Prime. Great story, a lot of good things going on. That said, I think the air gets let out of the tires this weekend. I like Oregon, and I like Oregon by double digits. I'm not saying by 21, 
but double digits. What you're saying is, is uh, Coach Prime, get on all these all these news shows before you lose this game. Eugene. I think it's going to be a really different story in two weeks. It'll be a loss to Oregon. It'll be a loss to USC. They'll be sitting at three and two, and then they'll be playing lesser competition. I think some of the eyeballs will go away. I think some of the hoopla will go away. You know, I saw a story today. Somebody did a story on all the memorabilia, the Coach Prime memorabilia that has all skyrocketed in value during this run-up. You know, and the question was, is it a bubble that is going to burst? I actually think Colorado's season's a little bit of a bubble. He also, uh, Dion, was busy filing trademarks that on Monday. He uh, filed Coach Prime, Prime Effect, Daddy Buck, and It's Personal. So it's are, personal. It's personal. Can you you can trademark it's personal. Uh, he's trying. He, you know, if anyone can, Dion can. So he's going to try it. Rich Eisen asking if Dion would ever consider coaching in the NFL. Punch it. If an NFL team comes to Dion in the same way Colorado came to Dion and say, "Floor's yours, facilities yours, uh, marketing's yours, everything," we follow your lead. Would he be intrigued by that? Uh, I'm sure if the number also had a one and all the zeros after it, too. Yeah, how, how can he, he might be interested in that. And if he can bring his kid, he might be interested in that. I I don't know. But he basically said, I don't want to coach grown men who might not listen to me because they've got all these contracts that are insanely um, lucrative and they might not be as motivated or easy to motivate. Look, I think it's a great opportunity Wherever he is, even if he stays at Colorado, if he goes to the NFL, I think Colorado, you know, they're not going to be happy he left, but they kind of understand that what they were getting into when he took the job. But I, I actually wonder if the bigger question is, is Coach Prime in this for Shadur or is he in this to coach? Because if he's in it for Shadur, he's going to leave. and He's going to go to the NFL. And he's probably going to go to whatever team drafts Shadur Sanders and it'll be a package deal. And... Some NFL team that is hurting with attendance will uh, try to make a run of it. But do you think this works in the NFL? Do you think, you know, there's not a, you know, there's free agency, but there's not a transfer portal where you have a distinct advantage if you're Coach Prime. You have X amount of dollars to spend. It's not like you can, you can out transfer portal everybody in the NFL. No, I don't think it would work in the NFL. And I like Deion Sanders. I think he's a good coach, but I think he's a great college coach because he's more of a rah-rah motivational guy. And the NFL, that's not how it works. It, they're professionals. They're getting paid more than the coaches are. They don't need you to motivate them. They're motivated because it's their job. It's the money that they're making. I think you can get people going in college, but man, if you go to the NFL and you try that kind of stuff, I don't know how long it works for. So I think if you're Dion. You want to stay in college where it, it works and you hire good coordinators and you can just be the face of the program rather than go to the NFL trying to motivate all these guys. Finally, let's go to Dan Lanning, Oregon coach. He was asked how big of a weekend this Saturday is when it comes to recruiting. Punch it. Yeah, we'll have a lot of, a lot of people here. I, I know our crowd's going to be amazing, but we're going to have a ton of uh, great people who can help us in the future that we need to make a great impact on. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a big recruiting weekend. Keep an eye on the sideline at Oregon before the game, during warm-ups, after the game, fourth quarter, late in the game. Who do they have down on the sideline? If I'm Dan Lanning, I get every recruit that I am recruiting head-to-head against Colorado for. I bring them into the building, and I show them with their very eyes the difference between these two programs. 
because it's going to be like 17 points on the scoreboard. And maybe Coach Prime will spin that into, hey, see, we need you. We've got playing time for you. Oregon's not going to have playing time for you. They've got the guys already. I don't know. But I think this is a great opportunity for Dan Lanning. In that clip, too, Dan Lanning was kind of smiling and laughing when he was answering that question. Like, he knows how big of a weekend this could be. Like you said, you know, he's going to show off how how far, how much farther Oregon is than Colorado. Uh, it will be interesting to see because you've talked about this. And, you know, these two schools are going for the same players now. And I do think it's a big-time big time opportunity. Another, another reason why this opportunity is so big for Lanning and the Ducks. Our big splash is coming up uh, later in the show. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. He'll be with us in the 5 o'clock hour. I don't know. It's a little bit inside baseball, but I'm going to talk for a second about this USC thing. Lincoln Riley, USC, they look bad. They We talked about it yesterday. It, they just look, they look like they have their eye off the ball. USC has, air quotes here, suspended beat writer Luca Evans for two weeks. Now, I've learned more about the infractions that he supposedly broke, but um, I'm confused a little bit on, and, I, and Chip Kelly is as well, on whether or not a university can actually suspend a media member. Can you suspend someone who doesn't work for you? Discuss. Uh, this is like somebody breaking up with somebody and them going, we're not dating. Um, the reporter, Luca Evans, works for the Southern California News Group, more specifically the Orange County Register, and his job is to report on USC athletics. Um, Lincoln Riley and USC are not happy with what they say are rule violations. And Lincoln Riley says, I don't feel like we have too many rules, but the ones we do have, we take them seriously, because my first job, even though it is part of my job, is not to the media, it's not to the fans, it's not to anybody else, it's to protecting our players. End quote. Who's he protecting him from? That is a big question. Luca has been suspended. Luca Evans. Suspended for two weeks, which means USC is not going to give him a credential to the next two games. The Orange County Register, as you found on yesterday's show, is probably still going to send him to the game, have him report on it, blah, blah, blah. But here are the things that USC's Director of Football Communications, Katie Ryan, told the Orange County Register that Luca violated, okay? Um, things like asking a question after last question of the news conference is announced or using Carol Folt, the USC president, using her first name during a news conference or greeting players away from program-approved media scrums after practice, meaning... He is saying hello to players as they're leaving the field. Also sending emails to members of the athletic department for the purpose of introducing himself. Viewed as a violation by USC's media relations department. I want to step back here for a second. Tim Tessaloni used to be the sports information director at USC. He was there for like 30 years. He retired a year ago. This is part of the problem. You've got some new people, some young people, some inexperienced people. You have a brand-new athletic director, Lincoln Riley, the football coach. There's nobody there to push back against Lincoln Riley and go, hey, coach, you're out of line here. You know, you're not doing the right thing. You know how you see those documentaries on airline crashes? And they always say part of the problem is the protocol or the hierarchy in the cockpit where you've got 
the captain and then you have the uh you know the uh assu- the assistant pilot or the first uh, you know whatever they call that thing it was that person that sits next to the co-pilot you got the co-pilot and the pilot and uh you know the there's a uh, hierarchy there where the, you know the co-pilot doesn't dare overrule the pilot even if the co-pilot suspects or thinks hey i think I think we're doing something wrong here they're afraid to speak up I feel like we have a little bit of that going on at USC. You have no athletic director because Jen Cohen took the job after Lincoln Riley was hired, and she's just getting acclimated. She's not going to come in and overrule the guy. You had a brand-new sports information department, director of communications, young, less experienced, less versed. you got a football coach who has no oversight and nobody pushing back. And you have a series of like really weird and little small petty issues that could be solved, frankly, with a conversation. This reminds me of those neighborly disputes where neighbors end up at each other's throats. And you start to unpack it and you go, well, what's the issue? Well, the person had a tree that had a limb over the edge of my fence. And so I you know, picked up the leaves and threw them over the fence. And said neighbor said, yeah, I saw the neighbor throwing things over my fence, and so I threw some things back. And pretty soon, they're suing each other, you know, and there's an assault involved. And you go, well, what does this go back to? Why didn't the neighbor just go, hey, man, your tree's dropping leaves on my side. Is it okay if I cut the limb? You know, like, come on. What are we talking about here? Why has Luca Evans been suspended? And by the way, How do you suspend somebody who doesn't work for you? This is just silly. I can think of a number of times at Oregon and Oregon State. You know, even uh, there was a time that popped into my mind about the NFL. The Raiders one time got mad at me. I was covering the NFL. The Raiders got mad at me because Tim Brown had left his pregame notes by his locker and he had ripped them into shreds and he had thrown them all over the floor. And I had it like as a throwaway paragraph in my, you know, 17-inch story. I had this paragraph about Tim Brown's pregame notes were shredded by his locker. And they were like, you shouldn't be reporting on that. You're not supposed to see that. And I was like, I actually did see that. If you don't want me to report on it, tell Tim to throw it in the trash can. End of discussion. You know, look, I'm sure the reporter would have said Madam Fult or President Fult. Had he been corrected and said, you know, Carol doesn't like to be called Carol in a news conference. Or I'm sure that the reporter would have uh, told USC, hey, if you don't want to have your guys quoted, tell them not to talk to media. It's not my job to tell them not to talk to me. I've told Oregon that. Oregon doesn't like you to talk to their players on the field after the game. They want the players to get to the locker room. I understand the logic of it. But I will have often walked up to an Oregon football player on the field after the game and said, hey, can I walk and talk with you? And they always look at you and go, yeah, sure, it's reasonable. And so I've walked off the field talking to Panay Sewell. And I've walked off the field talking to Justin Herbert. And I've walked off the field alongside Bo Nix. You know, it's, it's, you know, the players are shaking hands with the other team. And, you know, there's an opportunity there of a minute or two as you walk off the field to talk with them. I did it with Cam Rising at Utah. And, you know, they may look at it and frown upon it. But ultimately, I go back to this, you know, the same basic philosophy. You know, I don't work for you. Luca Evans doesn't work for USC. 
And I think USC looks petty here. Chip Kelly was asked today, the UCLA coach, he was asked today what he thought of it. What did he make of his crosstown rival telling a reporter you're suspended? Chip Kelly went, we can suspend you guys? I didn't know that. Never thought of it. It's an absolutely ridiculous concept. It's just dumb, frankly, and it makes Lincoln Riley look insecure and thin-skinned. I think it's weird. It also makes USC Sports Information Department look petty and, and punitive. They look like bullies. And especially it's especially bad, because nobody will say this, but I'm going to say it. It's especially bad because Luca Evans looks like he's 14 years old. He looks like he is the youngest guy on the beat. And his, his sports editor, his executive editor, Todd Harmonson, came on yesterday's show, and he kind of talked around it, and he says, well, he has a, a young-looking face. He looks like he's a student reporter. And so, to me, it kind of felt like Lincoln Riley had singled out a young reporter who had, made, who had done some things that kind of annoyed Lincoln Riley. You know, quoted a player off to the side at a news conference who was talking to another player. And, oh, by the way, here's what happened. Two players are talking. They're about to get up onto the news conference stage. One player turns to the other player and says, did they tell you what we're supposed to say? <laughs> That's what was said. Did Lincoln Riley, is he telling his players what to say when they get up there? I think it's kind of silly. I don't know, Stephen, what do you make of it? Yeah, it seems extremely silly that they are trying to suspend somebody when they can't actually suspend somebody. Like, they don't work for him. So it, it seems like he's picking him out of the lineup and saying, you know what, I can bully this guy and try to set a precedent for everybody else. But I hope it doesn't work, and I hope all these uh, reporters fight back on it. I think they are uh, getting absolutely obliterated, and they're going to continue to get obliterated as uh, this story unfolds. USC has a chance to walk this back, and they should. They should just go, hey, you know what? After further review, we've talked to Luca. We've come to an understanding, and uh, we think we've uh, the best way to handle this is like a grown-up because that is the best way to handle it. Up next, we'll talk about the Ducks in Colorado. I got on the phone today with the college football scheduling guru. A guy named Dave Brown, who lives in Austin, Texas. If Oregon State and Washington State are going to make a run at being the Pac-2, and that that option is on the table, if they're going to make a run at being the Pac-2 in college football, they're going to have to put together a 12-game football schedule for 2024. And, oh, that means filling nine slots on their schedule. I talked to Dave Brown, who is the guy nationally today. He walked me through it, and he said it's doable. He said it's not the best, not mo- not the most ideal circumstance. But he did not paint a dire picture to me. You want to read about it, you can read it at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing now. We'll talk more about it later. But uh, Dave Brown the wizard more or less when it comes to scheduling he is the guy on scheduling you can read all about it uh oregon's playing colorado they're hosting colorado on saturday spencer mclaughlin hosts a podcast covers the ducks knows all about oregon football 
He's a guy that you can find uh, as the host of the Locked On Ducks podcast and the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. He's joining us now to talk about this Colorado-Oregon matchup. A lot of eyes on this game, a lot of people rooting for Colorado and against Colorado. Uh, Spencer, help me help me quantify this. Why do you think this Colorado hype train has garnered 9 million viewers, 8 million viewers, 7 million viewers for games? Well, because everyone wants to see him fail, and at the same time everyone wants to see him succeed. I, I think there are only two camps that you can be in. You know, I, I grew up watching those ESPN uh, 30 for 30s, and, I, you know, I've thought about this over the years just kind of as a, a, a sports talk host. Like, when people love to, you know, or hate hating players, um, sometimes, and I don't know if it's just the way I'm wired, I, I love to hate players and root against people, um, and I, I don't feel that way specifically about Deion Sanders, but a lot of people do. And this 30 for 30 that I always think about uh, that, that I remember watching growing up was called I Hate Christian Leitner because Christian Leitner was Duke. Christian Leitner was elitist. Christian Leitner was preppy and all that sort of stuff. And then it was him against the Fab Five. And I watched that, and, you know, I'm too young to have seen Christian Leitner play while he was at Duke. And I, I came away thinking I would have loved to have hate Christian Leitner. I think it would have been really fun. And you have people who are just so enthralled with Dion, and you have people who can't stand every time he opens his mouth. And that creates drama, hype, intrigue, call it whatever you want, but that appeals to a large audience. I, I think in a way that not even Nick Saban has ever been able to. Saban's not flamboyant. I actually like watching Nick Saban talk to the media, and sometimes I do with Dion, and sometimes I roll my eyes. So I, I think it's just one of those things that is so very polarizing that you get the opposite ends of the spectrum as to where you stand. There's not a lot of people in the middle, and that drives a lot, a lot of content, a lot of engagement, and a lot of eyeballs as a result. I keep looking at this game, and I, I, I just don't see a way that Colorado's defense stops Oregon's offense. Do you think Bo Nix and Oregon, ha you know, do they have their way with Colorado? Well, it's, it's hard to see the evidence that Colorado's defense is going to be able to hold up and, and keep Oregon, I mean, under 30 points. So that alone makes it, makes it tough for, for the Buffs for sure. I mean, they're – 122nd in total defense. They allow five yards of carry. Oregon likes to run the football. I think that's kind of an interesting matchup. Oregon didn't run it great against Texas Tech, which is the only you know true barometer I think you can have for what to expect in this game. But even if you look at that, at that, that game in Lubbock, and you say, okay, Oregon went on the road, and sure, they had a late pick six, but they were over 30 points on the road. And in what world is Colorado's defense better than what Texas Tech's had. And, you know, the Ducks ended up with uh, 31 points offensively. That was on the road. Now they're at home. Colorado's defense is on the road. I, I think that all works against the Buffs. And I, I think for the Ducks, you know, I, I expect them to win the game, John. But I, I think whether or not they can win by a lot comes down to what they can bring to the table defensively and how they slow down Shadour Sanders. That that Shadur Sanders factor. I've been surprised, Spencer, 
at how good he looks. And and he looks like Me a guy too. that has elevated himself as a potential first-round pick in the NFL draft, and I, he was not at all on my radar as that kind of player. Is uh, is this week important to him in that narrative? Because I, I feel like he's coming in. They've got no Travis Hunter. They're a 21-point underdog. He did it in week one against TCU. If he can do it now and do it again and do it against a Pac-12 defense, I, I don't know who's, who's going to stop him. Yeah, I, I mean, he's really impressed me, and I had questions about him coming in the same way that everybody did, and I think fairly, and he's just answered those questions. You know, uh, I, I, I get pushback from Colorado fans all the time. I mean, everybody does. If you say the Buffs aren't winning the national championship, you'll get pushback from somebody somewhere if you look hard enough. But I, I think that with, with Shadour Sanders, you know, my question coming in was, hey, how are you going to make this adjustment? Because there is a jump here. You know, I, I do play-by-play play for, for, for an FCS school, and, you know, when we go play FBS programs, we played Arizona State and BYU this year, um, it, it, it looks different on, on the other side. The speed is, is different, and, you know, Southern Utah's got a, a good quarterback. That's the school that I work for. But he's not going for 300 or more yards against, uh, against FBS schools, but he played a really good FCS school last week. And he ended up with 324. And like, th- there's a gap there. So my question was, how do you make that adjustment? Because I look at Cam Ward, you know, last year, what he did for Washington State. He was really good for the most part. But as you probably saw, John, he also had a lot of moments that were kind of, you know, in and out. He was inconsistent. And he had individual sequences where you'd go, okay, you can make that throw or try to make that play or outrun that guy. Again, FCS guys, you can't do that at the Power 5 level. And I think there was an adjustment there. And by the way, I think he's a better version of, of himself. He's been really good for Washington State through three games so far. And they've got a big game, of course, this weekend against the Beats. But Shadur Sanders, from the moment he stepped on the field, I mean, he looks ready. A friend of mine compared him to Bryce Young with his decision-making. I think it's a good comparison because I have seen zero throws. Uh, I haven't watched every snap, but I've watched a lot of them for Colorado I've seen zero throws where I feel like Shador Sanders is putting the ball in harm's way. His IQ back there and ability to read defenses and know where the ball needs to go and then having the tools to deliver it there, I've been thoroughly impressed. I see all the traits of an NFL quarterback, and, um, you know, I heard another podcast host joke, yeah, big surprise, Deion Sanders' son is good at sports, uh, which point taken, but I, I think the questions were fair to ask, but to Shador's credit, He's answered them in resounding fashion this year. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin, Locked on Ducks, Locked on the Pac-12 podcast. I I said off the top of the show that there was a huge opportunity for Oregon. Help me unpack that. There's a recruiting opportunity. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs. Does that come with risk for Dan Lanning as well, though? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. Anytime you have a minus 21 next year, team's name in the ESPN app going into a game, there's uh, a downside to losing that is certainly greater than the upside to winning. However, the Dion effect is, is working in Oregon's favor because if, if, if you have a normal game, John, where, where Oregon is a 21-point favorite, say, let's say that number exists against Arizona State later this year in Tempe, and they win the game by 28, 30 points. Does that do anything for Oregon? Does that make noise? Does that get attention? Does that boost their AP ranking or college football playoff 
potential ranking. No, I, I don't think it does whatsoever in the college football world. But if you do that against Colorado, that's going to do something for you because more people are watching, more people are paying attention, and the line was all, is almost identical to what it was when, when Colorado went to, went to Fort Worth and knocked off TCU. So I, I think that the, the Dion effect is uh, a boon to Oregon this week if they if they win and it's closer than the 21 point spread no one i think looks at oregon and says oh look now the ducks are not that good because it'll be another feather in colorado's cap of men didn't think they'd keep up with the ducks there either but they did to their credit colorado's a good team and you know the only real downside for the ducks i think is if they you know lose the game outright i don't think that happens i think the travis hunter loss is a significant one um, and Oregon, of course, is a very good team at Austin Stadium. But I, I think how much Oregon wins by will come down to that, that defensive side of the ball. Dan Lanning's favorite thing to answer questions about. Tosh Lapoy, defensive coordinator. He'll be calling a game against Sean Lewis, who has been very good at Colorado on the offensive side of the ball. And now you've got Will Stein, fairly young as a coordinator at Oregon at least, calling against Charles Kelly, the former Florida State D coordinator. That feels like a mismatch to me. Is that the biggest advantage Colorado has in this game? I don't know about the Stein part of it because I think he has been good and he was good when he needed to be in in the biggest moments against uh, Texas Tech. You know, the difference between uh, Will Stein and Kenny Dillingham from a year ago, Dillingham had never actually been a play caller. You know, he wasn't a play caller for Bo Nix in 2019 at Auburn in Norvell uh, at Florida State, I believe, was his play caller there, and also at, at Memphis. Will Stein has called plays for, for several years now um, and did so successfully at UTSA. He's going up against some quality coordinators. I, I think that's, you know, been an undersold part of Dion's success this year with the Buffs. Is he's made two quality coordinator hires, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, we'll see. They don't have the personnel to match up with with everybody else yet, but they've done enough. They, they've clearly done enough, but it feels closer to Alex Grinch than it does at you know, Jim Leonard at, at formerly Wisconsin, for instance. But, uh, I mean, Sean Lewis is really, really sharp. I, I've been so impressed. That offense has an identity. They, they are not able to run the football very well. Again, I think that's personnel-based. And I think that he's been very good. And this will be a real test for, for Tosh Lupoy, who's the defensive coordinator, and, and for the rest of the defensive staff. That includes Dan Lanning, by the way. You know, Oregon fans have uh, not-so-happy uh, visions of Washington coming in throwing for over 400 yards. And, and Colorado's got a capable passing offense. If, if the Ducks are not able to at least keep things in check here against Colorado at home, I'm not sure how they could expect to do that on the road against Washington in a couple weeks with who I think is the best OC in the conference in in Ryan Grubb, who's really good. But Sean Lewis is is flying up that list. There are a lot of good ones in the conference, to be sure. Um, But I I think that it's a good test of once again to understand where Oregon's defense is at. I think they're better than last year. How much? We'll see on Saturday. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin. It's Colorado and Oregon at 1230 on ABC at Autzen Stadium. Uh, Spencer, Bo Nix, and the Oregon offense. Um, I look, you know, I criticize the Oregon offense in the Texas Tech game, but then I look up and I go, gosh, you know, Bo Nix throws three touchdown passes. He's got the yards. And I, I think what I, what I, what's missing for me is a 
consistent run game, and it's hard for me in the Portland State and the Hawaii games to get a sense on whether or not Oregon's going to be able to run the ball consistently. Will they do that against Colorado? I, I think they're certainly going to try. The Buffs have allowed five yards of carry this season, and their total defense has been pretty poor. The rushing defense has been a big part of that. And you look at what Nebraska tried to do in Boulder, I thought they'd be able to have more success. It turns out I underestimated how much Jeff Sims can struggle to throw the ball at the quarterback position, which is a heck of a strategy for the Cornhuskers in year one under their near un, under their new coach. But, um, you know, they ran the ball successfully in Boulder. It was around five yards carry. They just couldn't do anything else. So I don't think Nebraska has more talent than Oregon. In fact, I think they have less talent than Oregon. I know they have a much less talented quarterback, and, and that's why I feel good about the Ducks' offense going into this football game because if Nebraska, who is not nearly the team that Oregon is, is able to run the football in Colorado in Boulder, well, then, yeah, we should be able to do that uh, against the Buffs in Eugene. But if Colorado says, well, yeah, we'll give you the run, we're just going to try and take away the pass, Travis Hunter was a part of that. He won't be there uh, playing this Saturday. Still, their pass defense has been better than the run defense uh, at this point in the season. But I know what Bo Nix is capable of, and I don't think that uh, Colorado's faced an offense that's as talented as Oregon's yet. I think TCU's the closest, but I like Oregon's more. Um, so I, I think that that's going to be something we will see Oregon continue continue to try to do, and that's run the football. That's you know uh, it was a foundation of their success a year ago. It can be again this year. They they have to be better than they were against Texas Tech certainly, but. I don't think you're going to see them go full air raid and abandon the run unless they get down in the game like they were against the Red Raiders. Oregon's season obviously started weeks ago with Portland State, but I feel like conference play is another animal. Oregon cannot lose to Colorado. It has to win uh, the games it's supposed to win. I think they can afford one loss somewhere and still have a chance to get to the conference championship game, still obviously uh, be talked about as a playoff team. In your mind, Oregon's toughest game of the schedule falls against who? Uh, if Cam Rising is healthy, I will go at Utah. If Cam Rising is not healthy, I will go at Washington. Um, I think this is a game that Oregon cannot overlook. But if they play to their potential, they will win this game comfortably. Um, I cannot say that about the other big matchups that Oregon will have in, in Pac-12 play. If they play their best football at Washington, they can win the game. They won't win it by multiple scores. If they play their best football against USC or Utah or Oregon State, they can win. I don't know that they do it by by multiple scores. So I I think that this is a game that uh, is is going to generate a lot of hype and buzz because it's got the Colorado factor. And um, I agree with you about one loss is the barometer, even though the Pac-12 is so deep. If you just kind of go through – and, and look at who will probably get into the playoff this year. you got to be a one-loss or undefeated conference champ to get in. That's historically what it has been. I don't think that changes, even in a Pac-12 that's as deep as any conference. It's deeper than any conference in America and as deep as it's ever been. Um, for the conference championship game, I think you could lose two. I, I, I do, because this league is so stacked, everyone's just going to beat up on each other. Um, I mean, Oregon's got to play Washington and Utah and USC – in Oregon State, oh, and then avoid stumbles against a team like uh, Washington State or Colorado, for instance. And then Washington has to play 
at Oregon State, and they have to play Utah, and they have to play at USC, and they have to play Oregon, and they have to play Washington State. It's at home, but it's a rivalry game. You never know. USC's got – like, you can just go down the list. It's just a gauntlet for everybody. It's only getting tougher uh, by the looks of it week after week. I was kind of down on UCLA coming into the year. They've looked good so far. Yeah, they look um, really good. I still want they, – they have. I want to see them against Utah this week before I say that I underestimated them because so far they've been exactly what I thought they would be. Um, and, you know, Dante Moore has been the, the guy who's lived up to the hype, five-star true freshman. But I think he needs to go into an environment like Utah and then go for 250 to 300 yards and a couple scores and no more than one pick. And then I'll say, okay, yeah, this guy can compete with the best quarterbacks in the pack because even if you're really talented like he is, there are so many good signal callers in this league. You, you just can't be – you know, average to okay the position and come out on top. I think you have to have uh, a really, really good quarterback. There he is, Spencer McLaughlin. You can check him on the Locked On Ducks podcast, Locked On the Pac-12. I I hear a lot of people talking about this conference cannibalizing itself. You heard that a lot, right, in the last three or four weeks. Oh, they're going to beat each other. They're going to beat each other. Let's wait a little bit before we go to that point because I think USC and Oregon – and Oregon State, and UCLA, and Utah, and Washington are all really good. I'm starting to see some separation, though. Arizona, Cal, Arizona State, Stanford not looking that good. And in fact, Arizona State and Stanford look terrible. Like, could they be 0-9 in conference play terrible? Both of them. Colorado, to me, and I've said this all along, maybe I'm just a hater. I said at the beginning of the year, 3-9. and nine. They're 3-0. and oh. Are they going to lose nine straight? No, because they're going to beat Arizona State. They're going to beat Stanford. I don't know if they're going to beat anybody else. Maybe they beat Arizona. So I think there's some separation coming. And I think we're going to see, we're going to find out if Washington State is a top six team or not on Saturday. They, they have the home field, and they're, they're playing a top six team in Oregon State. But I kind of feel like, the standings are going to look very balanced by the end of the year. And that narrative of, oh, this conference is going to beat up on itself, and maybe to some extent, yeah, because you've got Utah, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and UCLA, all, all pretty good. But just let's wait a second, because Washington may separate with Michael Penix. USC may separate at the top with Caleb Williams. Hell, it might be Oregon State and Oregon. Somebody's going to separate at the top in the way that the bottom teams are starting to separate. And I think we're going to see some differences and some structure in the conference that tell us, hey, there are some easy wins in this conference. When you play Cal or Arizona or Arizona State or Stanford, you should expect to win. And maybe Colorado. Hell, Oregon's a 21-point favorite over a team that's 3-0 and and ranked 19th. Does that make sense to anybody? Or is something overhyped? That's where my mind is. Up next, we're going to play Fun Fact or Nah. Anna's in the studio. Anna's in the studio. Do you like when I do that? It's like when you have that one friend that calls you, and you're in the car with the kids. I know. And it automatically goes to speakerphone. So you have to, like, right away tell that friend, Hey, you're You're on speakerphone. Oh, you're on speakerphone. (laughs) Your foul-mouthed friend. (laughs) Everybody has... That one friend. 
right? Yep. That's how I feel when you you're announcing that I'm in the studio. Uh, we're gonna play a game coming up called Fun Fact or Not. Ooh. Do you like that? Yeah. We're gonna play that coming <laughs> up. We're gonna take a couple calls as well. Hey, by the way, uh, USC is getting blistered for that media policy where they uh, suspended they that young reporter for protocol violations. By the way, among his violations, he called the USC president Carol in a news conference instead of um, Madam Fult or Her Majesty or whatever she wants to be called. He <laughs> called her Carol. Uh, they're just getting roasted right now. Chip Kelly came out and he said, they, he, they asked him what he thought of it and he said, I can do that? <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. That's um, the most Chip Kelly response yeah, ever. Yeah, he got a smile on his face, and everyone was like, stop smiling. <laughs> uh, we're going to play Fun Fact or Nah. I like saying it like that. Oh, wow. Uh, coming up. Steven loves it. It's Steven's favorite thing to do every week. Is it, though? Yeah. Steven? Steven loves that game. Mm-hmm. He does. Okay. All right. Cam and Eugene's called in, though. Cam, what's up, man? What's on your mind? Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited for this weekend's game. I graduated from both Oregon and Colorado, so I'm an Ooh. alumni of both. Whoa. So cool cool Saturday for me. Got tickets for myself and uh, the wife and my cousin. I'm going to go out and check out the game. I'm okay, curious wait, wait, wait. i got to because... ask you. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. i got to ask you. Are you in a can't-lose situation or a can't-win situation? <laughs> It's a straight up Oregon game for me. I got to tell okay. you, when it when it comes time to make the cut, it's the Ducks first. It's more of a. I, I'm a little older, so I come from the time when like you rooted for your state team second after your own. So it's more of a consideration when it's Colorado versus Oregon State. But when it's the Ducks, I'm a duck on that weekend. I want Colorado to do great things, and just not Saturday. All right, you're on it. Anything else? So, yeah, yeah. So I, I always liked Oregon's kind of avant-garde style, you know, at the beginning of the century or the beginning of the millennium, you know, the highlighter uniforms and the diamond plate and the sort of like cutting edge look. And so I was surprised to see that they didn't really look into Coach Prime when they had the opportunity to go after him before Dan Landing was hired. And I don't want to get either of us suspended from the University of Oregon for talking about this, John. But I'm curious if you know anything about why there was no interest uh, there for Oregon to take a look at Coach Prime when they had the yeah. opportunity. Well, I, first of all, I don't think that Coach Prime had sort of the momentum that he had already that he gained at Jackson State in the last year. Remember Dan Lanning was hired a year before Coach Prime was hired at Colorado. But I got to be honest with you, when Colorado hired Coach Prime, I said to myself, gosh, I bet Oregon's kicking itself for not like being a year later in the hiring cycle because it was the most Oregon thing ever to go hire somebody who's going to be a great recruiter and then surround him with offensive and defensive coordinators and position coaches who could really be the teachers and let that guy be the face of the program and try to win in the portal. I mean, it's the future of college football, and frankly, it's the present of college football. So I do think there would have been interest if Oregon was in the market for a coach in the same hiring cycle. But remember, even into that last year at Jackson State, there were questions about, you know, could a coach on that level really rise up and do it? Now, Oregon should have known better than anybody because what did Oregon do? Oregon hired Chip Kelly from New Hampshire, made him the offensive coordinator, and he was game-planning against Ohio State in a Rose Bowl all of a sudden. I remember asking Chip, hey, is game-planning for Delaware the same as Ohio State? And he said, yeah, it's just game-planning. So I think Oregon knew, but I think, you know, Oregon didn't know Mario Cristobal was leaving. 
When he left, they were in a real hurry in that December to hang on to the recruiting class, hire somebody. Georgia was in the national title game, in the playoff at least. Dan Lanning was the right hire. They've hired him. I think they're happy with him. I think they're obviously really happy because they gave him a big extension. But I think, yeah, Phil Knight and Nike are probably sitting there going, God, that was a good hire. That was a great idea. Bring in Coach Prime. I actually think Dan Lanning, though, will last longer at Oregon than Coach Prime will at Colorado. How about that for a bet? Steven, what would you bet on that one? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would take uh, Lanning to be at Oregon longer than uh, Deanna at Colorado. Sam is in Vancouver. He wants to talk about the Pac-12 eating its own. Sam, what's up, man? Yeah, so I just, um, man, you know, for such me being such a hater on the SEC, I try to do as much research on the SEC to compare it. And we're always talking about, you know, like the Pac-12 cannibalizing, only one or two people at top, teams at the top. But if you really look down at, at the SEC, it's the same. You've got Alabama and Georgia at top. Then you've got sometimes maybe like the or maybe like Tennessee and Florida, but then you get other teams in there like the Texas A&M. And then you've got the Kentucky and those other ones that are just kind of milling around. That's like your your UCLA and your ASU maybe and stuff like that. And there's always just two teams on top. And it also helps that when the preseason polls come out, the SEC goes ahead and schedules their non or their conference games sometimes within the first three weeks then schedules a power puff at the end. But at the end of that schedule, this, that season, let's say that the SEC Alabama beat number three Ole Miss in week two. Now, if Ole Miss continues to lose that whole season, the polls are going to look at when Alabama played them that the other team was the third-ranked team, and they take that in consideration even though that opponent didn't win another game. Now, that does damage to the Pac-12 all the time, and I just think that, yes, with the TV deals, putting them on at 7.30, we should have been earlier in the afternoon like it always was, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock games, you know, growing up. Um, that's just my opinion about, like, the SEC. Um, but, you know, just to go on about the Colorado, I, I can't wait for Oregon to beat Colorado this weekend. I had all the respect for Dion until he brought up race, and that's when I was just like, okay, okay, that, that's enough. We, we, we know what's blatantly right out there. Why do we have to bring up race? Um, and I just we're going to the we're going to the Big Ten. He's going to the Big Twelve. We're going to a higher level than he is, and I think that the NHL NIL really helped him. If there was no NIL or anything like that, there would be no Dion in college football right now. Yeah, I think uh, look, he he is obviously a success, and what he's done at Colorado has to I think has to be celebrated. It's been great for college football. I also think Oregon's going to win this game and let some of the uh, air out of the tires of the Colorado machine. But I think the next two weeks for Colorado are going to be a big eye-opener for people who are going, okay, can you really come in, take over a 1-11 team, and in one year compete with the best teams in a Power 5 conference? USC and Oregon are at the top of the Pac-12 conference. I think you could say Washington and Utah and Oregon State are in that category too, but this is it. This is like the stage that Colorado has asked for. So let's see what they do when they get on this stage. If Colorado beats Oregon, it's going to be pretty hard to deny that you know the success of Colorado is is limited to uh, you know a non-conference schedule. Like this is a big moment for Colorado as well. Uh, I just I don't want to take anything away from what Deion Sanders has done at, at Colorado. I just think this is a great opportunity 
a great competitive opportunity. And to the caller's point about the SEC, let's look at this. The 12:30 game on ABC linear television will be a Pac-12 game, Oregon and Colorado. The 12:30 game on Fox will be on linear television, UCLA and Utah. The four o'clock game on Fox will be Oregon State and Washington State. That's not too bad. Uh, you also have, uh, you know, uh, th- this conference has four games on linear TV, and an opportunity to dominate. Um, you know, Fox has USC and Arizona State at seven thirty as well, and ESPN has Cal and Washington. It's going to be a big weekend for the Pac-12, and another weekend where everyone goes. It's a shame this conference is disintegrating. Really is. Anna's shaking her head right now. Why are you shaking your head? Because <laughs> that's exactly my thought. I just cannot believe that in such a banner year for the conference that uh, it's all, you know, there's just this undercurrent of sadness <laughs> that uh, it, it is disintegrating and the more than 100-year history is all ending. Yeah, I think it's one of those moments where you realize, like, hmm, the, the ingredients were here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You had all the right ingredients. How did the meal come out so bad? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. You know those shows where someone knocks on the door and then they go, let me see what's in your pantry. <laughs> and then they open it up and then they make like a gourmet meal. Uh, okay. As it okay. turns out, the Pac-12 had grass-fed beef. Yeah. <laughs> it had uh, all the... Uh, I had all the it ingredients. Had Non-GMO, organic. Uh, Everything vegetables. was here. I know. Had- this was like market of choice, or uh, <laughs> you know, Whole Foods quality groceries here. Everything was there. Everything was here, and they didn't get a deal. There has to be something going on that we don't know about. Has to be either that, or it's just gross incompetence. All right, we're gonna play fun fact or not next. Every Wednesday, we like to play a game called. Fun fact or not? Do you understand how that works, Anna? As long as I don't have to say, like, brah, along with nah. Nah, brah. Nah, brah. Um, So basically the Pac-12, Greg and the research department at the Pac-12 more specifically. By the way, I've been in a casino with Greg. Yeah. It's a little bit like having Rain Man with you. Really? Yeah, that's great. So that's a good thing. Yeah. As long as we're not in a no, as long as you're you're not in a drawn out conversation. Oh, and I ended up in a drawn out conversation with Greg once in a casino, Uh and we decided that Greg would come on this radio show. He's very excited about it. Yes. Then I reached out to the Pac-12 and I said, "Hey, we'd like to get Greg on the show." And the Pac-12 said, "Greg's not going on your show. Hmm. They want Greg behind the scenes, counting matches in the matchbook. That's where they want Greg." Okay. That's too bad. It is bad because it would have been highly Maybe entertaining. Maybe those same people aren't there anymore. No, right they're now. there. Okay. They're there. So, <laughs> Greg every week does 12 fun facts to know about your teams, okay? Mm-hmm. And I said, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> and so we will. Now, all it needs to get to be a fun fact is two votes. This is like um, Simon and... What's the uh, other judges? Sophia. Sophia. And Heidi. And Heidi. And Howie. Now, there's only three of us, though. Okay. So you, each fact needs two yes votes mm-hmm. to pass as a fun yeah. fact. Yeah. Let's see how I'm great I'm Sophia did. in this. I just okay. want to clarify. I'm okay, Sophia. Okay, good. I didn't want to be Sophia. Okay, yeah. that's really good. Okay, so let's start. We go alphabetical. We start with Arizona. Fun fact or no, after this week, 
Arizona is scheduled to play seven straight games against opponents currently ranked in the AP Top 25. They have seven weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Fun fact or no? Uh, I mean, it's just a fact. It doesn't seem that fun to me, Stephen. I'm going to go with nah. It's, it's, uh, it's not... Uh. It's not. <laughs> it's uh, not not going to be fun for Arizona. It's a lot of L's on their schedule, so uh, nah. Doesn't even matter what I say then because you've both gone nah yeah. on that fun fact. I actually think it's kind of interesting uh-huh. because if you're forecasting where Arizona's going to end up in the standings, yeah, you can safely say, hey, they're not going to do that well. But also, by the way, that's fun about that. But is that, is, that inter- <laughs> is this interesting fact or not nah or fun fact or not? Nah? Fun fact. All Here's right. the thing, no, though. Just checking. Sh- shouldn't the fact have just been... The Pac-12 has eight ranked teams, and Arizona's got to play Pac-12 teams in conference play. Arizona's not one of them. Uh-huh. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, it should have been like a conference fact, not an Arizona fact. Yeah. Okay. Number two, Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona State has allowed 15 points off their eight total turnovers against Fresno State. None of them were touchdowns. So they had eight turnovers against Fresno State and allowed five field goals. Oh, fun, that's super fun. Fun fact or not? Yeah, super fun. <laughs> I can't For tell sure. if she's being sarcastic or not. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, yeah, that's fun. Is it fun? I uh, yeah, I she's find that yes. really entertaining. All right, she likes that. I'm gonna go with nah. Uh, just it doesn't <laughs> seem like it looked very fun to me. They, they stink. They turn the ball over a lot. I don't. It's nah. They had eight turnovers. They looked like the Niners in the NFC Championship game last year against the Eagles. So inept they were at quarterback. But uh, like it's so bad, it's good. Fun. Yeah. How about this one? Fun fact wait, or who, not? Wait, wait, you, you didn't vote. Yeah, it's one to one. Oh, I think no. Novice. Not a fun fact. <laughs> oh. So, so far we're 0 for 2, Greg. Okay. All right. He gave us Cal. All right. Mm-hmm. Cal is one of only five teams in college football who have double-digit takeaways. They have 10 takeaways. Colorado also has 10. Cal has been very good at with taking the ball from the other team. Fun fact or no? Uh, question. Is a takeaway different than an interception? Same. It's a fumble or interception. Okay. It's a takeaway. Okay. Good job clarifying. Mm-hmm. You had a clarification question. Can uh, you use it in a sentence? <laughs> Can you tell me the... Uh, the uh, no. Is- uh, but I do think it's fun because, again, it highlights just overall, you know, Who's in that conversation? Cal and Colorado. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm going to go fun because I knew I, the Colorado yeah. one. I didn't know Cal. I didn't know they were turning people over. So, yeah, fun. Yeah. I'm going to go yes on Cal. And, and it makes me feel better about their game against Washington coming we're up. unanimous. So we agree the Cal fact was fun. Not a golden buzzer, but you were unanimous. <laughs> Let's go to Colorado. Colorado is seeking its first road win over a top 10 team since 1995. Oh. They have lost 17 straight road games against top 10 teams as they head to Eugene and top 10 Oregon. Double plus fun. As Dan Laney would say, what have they won? Have they won anything? I don't think they've won anything. Uh, I'm going to go with nah. Not fun. I mean, it's a completely different program. Dion, I mean, yeah, it's Colorado, but it's Dion. It's the Dion Buffaloes, so no. Not not, not, son. Not son. You say no? Nah. Nah, bruh. Here's the issue I'm having with it. Uh, it's barely inside that that ring. Like, Oregon is number 10, you know? Yeah. So I would more specifically want to know, like, how has Colorado been against the teams that are ranked number 10? Because uh, have they played a bunch of number one, two, threes? Those are different losses than losing to 9-10. You expect to lose those games. 
So I'm not going to say, and it's also a little confusing for me. There's a lot of numbers in it. Top 10 teams since 1995, 17-game road streak against top 10 teams. Too many numbers. Not fun. Too many numbers, too many words. I'm out. So out of all of these so far, we have one One. fun, and it was unanimous. Greg not having fun. Here we go. Oregon. Since 2018, Oregon is 29-2 and at home. That is the best record in the Pac-12 at home since... 2018. Fun fact or no? It's pretty fun. Doesn't knock my socks off, but it's pretty fun. 29 and 2 doesn't knock your socks off? Just as Damn. a fact. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as a fact. It, you know, on the fun Oregon's been really factor. good at home. Yeah. Uh, 29 and 2. Can you really say that's so fun? Yeah, it's not it's not fun, but it's not not I don't know. It yeah. <laughs> I'll vote I'll vote fun. fun. I'll I'll go fun. And if you're going not fun, I'll go fun, so it's up to John. I'm going to say it is a fun fact because that is a hell of a record in home games. So I am going fun, and I'm going to say that is, you know, that is a really good, that's a good stat. All right, then. I like what the, that. What are the losses? Can you name them? I was just looking yeah. them up. That's why, I was, that's why I was stammering a little bit. Washington Stanford? last year it was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm Washington going back. State, maybe? Try to think. Did Washington State get him? Didn't they there? get him in Eugene one time? I think they did. Was it Stanford? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking. They didn't lose at home in 2021. People are people, people who are know yelling, this are screaming at the radio. Screaming at the radio. <laughs> you idiot! Didn't happen in 2020. That's why we're fun fact or not? <laughs> I bet it was Mike Leach in Washington State. Let's go back. You Here we bet? go. Someone Here has to know this. Didn't happen in 2019. And we're going back to 2018. Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah. No. Isn't it, this fun, it's listener? It's Stanford. Oh, Anna. Stanford at Thank home you. in the 2018 season. Oh, man. How about them apples? I like that this sports osmosis has worked for me. You got it. In right. Good for you. All right. Now let's go on to our next fact. Oregon State with a win at Washington State. The Beavers would have their longest win streak since 1966 and 67. Whoa. They will have an eight-game win streak. They won nine straight in 1966. Fun fact or no? Fun. Great. Great. Fun. Nah. Nah, bro. <laughs> what? We're, we're going over two seasons now? Don't we stop after one season? <laughs> they've won three games in a row this year. That, that's what they've won. Three in a row. That's the win streak. Nah, bro. Oregon State. Winning nine, eight in a row and having that be the longest straight since 66, 67. So you 67? think it's lame because it's including the previous season? <laughs> yeah, like the... completely different team, different quarterbacks. I mean, come on. It's not even, it's not even close. Nah. Mm. I think it's a fun fact. Anna? Yeah, I already said. Overruled. Asked and answered. Overruled. Mm. All right. Stanford is the only team in major college football who has not missed a field goal this year. <laughs> Or last year. <laughs> That's the most Stanford fact ever. Stanford's looking, Stanford's looking good in those uniforms. They also have the highest GPA and are the smartest team in the Pac-12. 25 of 25 on field goals. They haven't missed a field goal since 2021. Just because it's Stanford, it's so fun. Poor little Stanford. Yeah, we'll go fun. Just, just get, give it to them. Poor little Stanford with their giant endowment. Every you know, 
everybody knows, like, you grew up with a neighbor kid whose parents lowered the bar for them. <laughs> and look, he put his pants on today. Good for him. That's that's what people are doing with Stanford with this fact. Well, so are you ruling fun it's or not? not? A, it's not a fun fact. It's hilarious, but not fun. Did, Stephen, did you uh, say yeah, fun? I or said not? fun. I said fun. Okay, so it's fun, John. <laughs> it's fun. I was it's to get... fun because it's Stanford. Yeah, we're trying to get the clean sweep. Come on, John. UCLA, Dante Moore, looking to be the first true freshman to win a start at Rice Eccles Stadium since Oregon's Justin Herbert did it in 2016. Fun or not? Nah? Uh, I'll kick it off. I'll say nah because I don't know how many other starts there have been. Like, if like you, if true freshman? Yeah, yeah, if you give me the number of true freshman starts. Is this the only fresh, true freshman start since Justin Herbert? I don't know. I need to know more information. So uh, that's a nah, bro. I, I will say nah just because it all confused me. It was too much. Dante Moore is a freshman. No other freshman quarterback's gone there to win okay, since Justin Herbert did it he's a quarterback. in 2016. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, and people, I was there that day. Yeah. People not, may not remember, you know, Herbert threw a touchdown pass right at the end of that thing to win it. Yeah. And it was that game almost saved Mark Helfrich's job. Mm-hmm. And I went to the news conference to see, like, you know, Helfrich, this is the game, this is a win he needed. It got him win number four. Yeah. And Phil Knight and Rob Mullins, the mm-hmm. booster and the AD, did not go to the news conference. And I looked around and I said, Helfrich is done. <laughs> okay. This is his, nobody was celebrating with him. <clears throat> Yeah, that was the canary in the gold mine. Okay. All right, moving on. You, you. Wait, did you say it was fun? It's not fun. Okay. USC. Fourteen different USC players have caught multiple passes this season, and seventeen different Trojans have caught at least one pass. Fun or no? Uh, maybe fun. No, not no, fun. no. Who have they, no. they played? Nobody. Yeah. <clears throat> not fun. Moving on, because it doesn't matter what you say now, Anna. Okay. Utah's Lander Barton's pick six against Weber State gave Utah the 20th consecutive season with a pick six. It's the longest active streak in college football. 20 straight seasons they've had a pick six. Fun fact or no? I fun. I can I can I can process that. Uh yeah, I'll go fun on that one. I mean, it's pretty impressive. So yeah, I'll go fun. That's kind of their identity defense. So yeah, fun. I'll say it's fun, but I had to kind of reconstruct his sentence because the way he wrote it wasn't fun. Yeah. And I had to, I had, I did some editing there as I was reading because the way he wrote it, I'm not even going to read it. Yeah, You'd don't. go to sleep. Mm-hmm. All right, Washington. Michael Penix Jr. threw for 375 yards and four touchdowns in the first half at Michigan State last week. Michigan State first quarterback in major college football to throw for 350 in a first half with four touchdowns since C.J. Stroud did it against Michigan State for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I don't I know. I think it's fun because it's both against Michigan State. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'll go fun. Okay. Sure. I- I'll, I'll say fun to an extent. Yeah. Okay. Finally, Washington State. The Cougars have scored more than 30 points in all three games this year. Washington State is 6-2 and two since the start of last season when it scores more than 30 points. Fun fact or not? Nah? It's all right. No, it's just, uh, it's but, okay. But how Steven? many field goals have they made in a row? So, nah. I'll go, <laughs> I'll go nah, nah. Well, and then it's a nah. Kind of a bad week for Greg in the research department. <laughs> yeah, there's what, like four? Four yas? I'm going to send him a no. We should start sending him the segment. The over, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know that this is happening. Start doing the over-under. Over-under. <laughs> and then tools. it will be the last time he does it. Put a little more effort into it, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it here. Here's a fun fact. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be joining us coming up at 524.
Make an appointment. It's an appointment listening moment. Tomorrow on the show at 420, Dan Lanning, Oregon football coach, will be with us. Talk about his upcoming game against Colorado. We get the guests. It's not home of the Ducks. It's not home of the Beavers. I get it, you know. Not going to be that rah-rah guy with the pom-poms out all the time, but we get the guests. We get the interviews. We'll have them all right here. Sorry about that. I hit the wrong button. Anna gave me an annoyed look. Like you give me a look new. like give me a look like I don't know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. Are you new here? <laughs> 17 years later, yes. Here I am. Uh, we're going to do the 5 at 5. And then we're going to go to commercial break around 520. Does that work for you? Yeah. And then me? Yeah. Sure. And then Jonathan Smith's going to come on about 524. That's my estimate. Let's see how close I can get to exactly getting him on at 524. I don't want to make him wait. Don't make him wait. What should I ask him? Got a big game on the Palouse. He gets a little uh, close to the vest. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. He gave a kid a scholarship uh, in a meeting. You know those cool videos they put out and they show the announcement where they're actually saying, hey, you get a scholarship. And yeah. There's a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. He did that uh, for a player. I tweeted out the video uh, of that if you want to see it. It's kind of a cool little video. Awesome. But um, I think uh, that would have been a that would have been a fun fact. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool. Jeremiah Noga is now on scholarship. Had a big game last week against San Diego State. Became a primary target in that game, and now he's on scholarship. I find that interesting that the, they they. Uh, Inform guys this late that they're getting a scholarship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, why make them wait? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that process is like. I gotta ask him that. That's one good question. That's like, one of them. Tell me how that works. Well, you gotta see <laughs> if they're good. I mean, you don't want to give a scholarship out too early. <laughs> but it's almost like I saw Utah did that with their quarterback Bryson Barnes, who started, you know, in week one. Yeah. He beats Florida. They announced after he beat Florida, he's getting a scholarship, and I thought. Did he know going into the game that if he played bad, he wasn't getting a scholarship? Or how does that work? If he plays out, he enters the transfer portal. If he wins, he gets a scholarship. Yeah. What he should say is, I'm transferring. I played really well. I'm out. Uh, Think about what I should ask Jonathan Smith. Oregon State has not had a lot of success at Washington State. Yeah, On the Palouse, they've been 10, 10 years since they've won. Okay. Four losses in that time. So, uh... How do you win? What is that? I think it, that some of that, though, let's unpack that fact, okay, since we're on the fact thing. Fact. Well, yeah, because if we're basing it off of, like, Stephen's logic, it doesn't even matter because it was completely different teams. It, it, and it's true because yeah. if you unpack that thing, yes. Jonathan Smith two years ago went there and lost Yeah. a really close game. You were there. Uh-huh. They tried a fake punt. Yeah. They lost at the end of the game. It was a really close game. Remember, they were driving, and they were trying to throw the ball after they had had so much success running. Yeah. I criticized him after that game because I thought there were some coaching errors in mm-hmm. that game. And so that was his loss there, okay? Mm-hmm. But when you go back 10 years, they've only played there four times. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they've lost 10 times there. They've lost four times. And Gary Anderson lost, I think, three of those. Yeah. In his tenure. Mm-hmm. See, so isn't, and, that, isn't that a little misleading then? And Oregon State wasn't very good at that time. Yeah. 
It is a tough place to play, though. Oregon's gone in there and lost with good teams. According to Stephen, most of these facts that we use to talk about how good teams are don't matter. <laughs> Anna gets me. She gets me. I feel like I need to give facts that are real. Like, you know, I, I'm six foot one. I should say something like that. And then before I get into these convoluted facts. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to do the five at five. Okay. You ready? Let's do it. I'm stretching. She's stretching. Let's do it. The five at five. The number one story is I gotta know what you guys think about this sort of non-story story, uh, the chatter about Trailblazers coach Chauncey Billups mm. hanging out at the Colorado Colorado State game, but not just the fact that he's he was there. I mean, he played basketball for Colorado, right. so it's, it makes sense. That's not weird that he was there, um, but it's the fact that there's this video clip of him talking with Miami Heat guard Kyle Lowry. And it's only like a 25-second clip. It's not very long. They sat together for a little bit. They had some kind of conversation, and then it ended. But it has, you know, the socials all abuzz talking about, of course, Damian Lillard and, you know, whether he's actually going to go to Miami or not. Does it bother you, Stephen? Because I saw it and I went... It just looked like some guys hanging out watching the game. But, you know, they have history. Chauncey Billups was a mentor to Kyle Lowry. Are we making too much of this? Dame to Miami confirmed is what I took away from it, John. Um, <laughs> Speaking of fun facts. Yeah, Matisse Thibel was there as well. Uh, he's a Blazer right now. He's on the Trailblazers roster. But, mm. no, I mean, it is just it is funny that it, that's how everyone takes it out as, like, Oh, just because they're talking, that means Dame's going to Miami or Kyle Lowry is going to Portland. I, there's nothing to take away from it, but, yeah, there's just two buddies hanging out watching a you know a highly uh, anticipated football game. Yeah, but, I mean, is it true that the Heat have the option of waving Lowry to create more space for Lillard? Uh, well, they could, yeah, I believe Kyle Lowry's a free agent and they can sign and trade him to the Blazers. So, you know, I think that, yeah. So there is a possibility that he, like, he is one of the pieces that they could, the Blazers could potentially get back in a trade. So if so Chauncey does buzz, like him, yeah. Is, if all this buzz, it's not completely unwarranted. It's not, but Kawhi Leonard is at a Colorado game. I found that impressive. You know, he showed up on the sideline. I think he was at the Nebraska game. Yeah, everyone just wanted to be at the Colorado, like the Rock, you know, yeah. as we're talking about, the Rock, Kevin Hart, they're all there. Kyle Lowry's <laughs> like, hey, I want to go with you, Chauncey. I want to sit in the suite with you. Ka- Kawhi Leonard doesn't even go to his own games. Like that that was a big deal. He doesn't even play in the back. You know? Like he's at a Colorado game. You know? His own NBA team's like, how'd you do that? How'd you pull that off? All right, the number two story. Oh, meanwhile, I can't get off this Lillard thing because it's just there's just a lot of palace intrigue. Um he joined a podcast recently and addressed a number of topics that are all being reported on today. But I was interested in him saying that he just completely shot down the idea of ever going to play for the Golden State Warriors. He said, as far as Golden State, I respect what they've been doing over the last eight or nine years, whatever. And I'm from there. Obviously, that's ha- home, but I can't go be part of that. Why? He's saying they've won four championships and, you know. Too much winning. Well, to me, he, he just wouldn't go. That He would says that he would lose every year before he went to the Warriors. You know, there's someone already there playing his position. Okay. Do you think that's... 
him kind of saying, I don't want to be Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think so. A little bit, yeah. Kevin Durant did that. Yeah. Like, they've already won. You wouldn't be the difference. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be the reason they won. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to, when you first started that, I wanted to compare it to like a scuba diver who's surfacing too fast. You know, and he was saying like he'd lost so much in Portland that if he won so much and joined a winner, it would be like surfacing too fast when you're deep sea diving. <laughs> But he wasn't saying that. I think what he's saying is, you've seen players do this. You'd be going there knowing they're going to be, they've been successful even without you. You're not putting them over the top. Well, and it doesn't make sense to go to a team that already has one of the best you know, players in the NBA. But it at is his home. Position. It's home for him. Yeah. That's going home. It all, doesn't want to go home. Doesn't it also have to do with, like, some people are all about champion like if he was truly all about winning championships he would want to go with the warriors I don't some know. people want that some people want to be the star of the team that's fine like i i would more rather play on a team that is good and never win a championship than be a guy on the bench that wins championships so like i don't blame him for that if that's the reason why like he just wants to be the dude i don't know because i also think like miami's pretty good you know like he's going there to win a championship isn't that kind of yeah. what's happening there? I mean, they've been to the finals two out of the last four years, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, he's, what he's saying is I'm the piece that can put them over the top, and that's a good situation for me because my legacy then becomes I went to Miami, they couldn't win it without me, they won it with me. I would also argue, I mean, you've seen the compound he's building over in Tualatin. Like, that's going to be home, right? I don't know. It's quite a compound, though. I mean, there's the home that you came from. And then there's the giant thing that you're building in the suburbs of Portland. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And I just think losing to the Nuggets in the NBA Finals um, sets Lillard up for, like, hey, if I join them, I can put them over the top. I can be the difference. Number three. I just want that to be over. Um, Okay. Let's see. Where should we go? Oh, this story was interesting. So uh, there's a Miami Hurricane tight end, Cam McCormick. Sound familiar? Yeah, Oregon Duck. He's petitioning the NCAA to play a ninth season of college football. He missed nearly three years of action because of an ankle injury. He's now 25. Yes, he did start his collegiate career at Oregon and spent seven years there. But you might remember that he was one of the guys that went to the hospital after the intense workouts back in 2017. Then he had an Achilles tear. Uh, He's He's been through some stuff. He's been through some stuff. So he would be just like no no other player has been granted a ninth year of eligibility. This this, This topic is evidence. I always tell listeners nothing's scripted. It's evidence because when Steven did the five at five, he had this in his five at five. We've talked about this. Oh, yeah, really? Yesterday? Well, you were oh, here. Oh, this is old news? You were sitting this... right here when it happened. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I was Because you sat out paying the... attention. Anna. Yeah, you sat out the five at five. But no, I, I'll, I'll say this. I've thought For about... those of you that missed it yeah. yesterday when Stephen talked about yeah, it. Yeah, but no, I think, it's a good re- I think there's a good reason to bring it back up. Because I was thinking about something. You know, he follows Mario Cristobal to Miami. Yeah. Okay? Right. And I think part of the story here is that, you know, Mario Cristobal's turned the corner at Miami. At least he looks like he has because all of a sudden Miami beats Texas A&M and, you know, here you go. It's uh, a different kind of um, 
different kind of vibe there right now, and I think he has an opportunity to, uh, you know, to be part of that. And Chip Kelly talked about guys like Kenyon Barner as being like a culture keeper. When he went to the NFL, what did he do? He went and he drafted a bunch of players or he signed a bunch of free agents who had played for him at different stops and brought him in there to kind of get the rest of the team to understand what he was trying to do. Cam McCormick's a culture keeper for Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal needs him. I don't – I just kind of wonder about an eighth-year senior, though. You know, that's a long time to be in college. Nine, eight, nine years? Nine years. I made the joke. It's like Dr. McCormick, you know, like what is he – like. <laughs> I got to know what his educational resume looks like. Yeah. How many degrees does he have? Yeah, got to be a heck of a transcript. Because these guys are graduating in like three years. <laughs> and they're getting, you know, double major, triple major. I'm going to get a yoga certificate. I don't know. But good for him. I'm glad he's healthy. Mm-hmm. That's the bigger thing. Number four. Uh, did Steven talk about Shohei Otani's surgery yesterday? Now I'm gun shy. No, he didn't directly. Okay. I did, though, a little bit. All right. Ahead, well, yeah. he had surgery yesterday to repair damage to that valuable right arm. Uh, the statement, interestingly, from the agents, from the agent and the angels and the surgeon, doesn't mention the word elbow <laughs> regarding the surgery. It basically just talked about the big picture. And that, you know, he's going to have every opportunity to hit and pitch for many years to come. They are definitely trying to protect his free agent uh, value and try to prolong the myth or the idea that he's going to be able to pitch and hit. He's fine. Okay. Everybody, he is fine. Nate McMillan talking about Greg Oden's knee or Shohei Otani's agent talking about his elbow. He's fine, okay? <laughs> I just don't think I, – I, I finished yesterday's show. Like, the contracts for hitters who play at the level that Otani plays at, MVP-type hitters, you know, are worth like 30 to $34 million a year, okay? The pitchers get bigger money but shorter deals because pitchers don't have that longevity. Like, you see pitchers get two-, three-, four-year deals. So what do you do with Otani if you're a team? Do you go – with a long-term deal that's worth like $38 million a year? Or do you do what his agent wants? His agent wants $500 million over 10 years, $50 million a year. That's too much, I think, because I don't think he can pitch for 10 years. I would be concerned that he would have another elbow flare-up. He's had two now. I definitely think this hurts his value, but I still think he's going to get a windfall and he's going to get a record contract. Number five. And we stick with baseball for number five. Uh, just for fun, Blue Jays pitcher Yusei Kikuchi typically sleeps 13 to 14 hours per night. Wow. And that's apparently what it takes for him to pitch well. Health experts recommend adults get seven or more hours of sleep. Emphasis on the more for this guy. How in the world? He's getting 13 to 14 hours of sleep per night. According to WebMD, you can get too much of a good thing. Sleep is essential, but the Internet says that oversleeping creates problems, including heart disease, diabetes, and a risk of death. That's according to WebMD. That's, that's according to Dr. Google. Well, get this, though. So he pitched well. 
in the start against the Yankees on Tuesday night. He allowed one run and four hits mm. with seven strikeouts over five innings. But you know, he And he's a lefty, but he had to leave the game after five innings because of cramps and claims that is the case because he only got 11 hours of sleep on Monday oh. night. <laughs> Blaming the pillow. Uh, you know what else WebMD says about oversleeping? I can't wait. Uh, what? Researchers are careful to note that depression and socioeconomic status are strongly associated with oversleeping. People who are depressed sleep longer, and people who have no health insurance and less access to health care and therefore more, more undiagnosed illnesses, therefore get heart disease, which turns into oversleeping. <laughs> that sounds like Greg in the research department wrote that. Nah, nah. <laughs> Strong nah, bro. I'm not laughing at heart disease, I promise. I'm not mocking you, heart disease. I'm just saying... This guy's getting how much sleep? Like, he is complaining that he only got 11 hours, and that's why he didn't pitch as it. well. And he regularly gets 13 to 14 hours. How much sleep would you, like, say, this is good? How much sleep? I mean. No, I'm not saying bare minimum, but, like, how much before you'd be like, I got to get up. I'm going a little <laughs> stir crazy. That's that's where I'm when I hear that I think like cabin fever get me out of here. <laughs> well imagine like if you got 13 to 14 hours of sleep those waking hours become extremely precious. <laughs> <laughs> He's living his best life I guess. All right uh, that's the 5 at 5. Good stuff. I'm just in shock of Yeah. It. Good one. You finished strong there. You had a moment in there where I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Oh, you mean when I repeated yeah. the story from yesterday? Well, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Smith is coming up, Oregon State football coach. He's going to be joining us at 524. That's the plan. Okay? Let's see how punctual he is, and let's see if I can stay on time. Maybe they're going to suspend me if uh, if I don't keep this thing on time. I don't know. This, is, this stuff's flying around. Uh, all right, you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. We'll be right back with Jonathan Smith. Oregon State will be traveling to Washington State, 3-0 and against 3-0, and ranked team against ranked team. We went through all the fun facts earlier in the show uh, as it pertains to this matchup and uh, found out a lot of cool things, but uh, Oregon State looking to get a what would be a big victory. In Pullman, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, here to talk about it. Uh, give me an idea. Why is it difficult to play in a particular stadium? And let's use Washington State as the example. Yeah, uh, well, you know, the crowd's into it, right? So the crowd, the energy, the noise, um, that becomes somewhat of a distraction, makes it difficult, difficult to communicate. I think when you play on the road and the crowd's into it and they're making a bunch of noise, especially after big plays made by the home team, they feel even bigger. And this game can be a lot about momentum. And so the maturity uh, to be able to respond, uh, not just to the particular play, but understanding the crowd didn't make the bad play worse. It looks like if the, if the uh, researchers are right with the Pac-12, that this is the first time Oregon State and Washington State have played where both teams are ranked, and it's the first time that uh, both were undefeated since 1989. I mean, this is 
This is a big deal, man. This is a this is a big time football game. This is what you talked about when you took the job. You said, "Hey, we want to play in big games, meaningful games." Do your new players understand what you've been through to get to this point? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if all of them have, especially the first year ones. I mean, to get over here and the kind of expectation level is so much higher than some of. We got some guys fifth, six years. I mean, this is some guys third time going to Pullman. Um, and so you're right, though. We want to play meaningful games, and they're big. And, again, this is the first game of conference schedule, but every game is big. And, you know, starting on the road makes it difficult. Uh, it's a huge task. As a player, do you remember playing against Washington State on the road? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think it was twice. I think in 99, uh, went up there and won. And then in 2000, played here and then went back up there senior year to one And I think we lost by a touchdown. You gave a scholarship to a player today, or at least the video went out today, but Jeremiah Noga got a scholarship. Um, kind of cool to see those moments. They don't get old. You get you get you got to be the guy who stood in front of the room and, and delivered that. What did what did that feel like for you as a coach? Yeah, that is fun stuff. Um, and that been brewing. We'd been thinking about that for a while, and so then it once got to the point. Well, yeah, we got to get this because school starts next week. I mean, this is a, you know changes lives financially for some guys, and so thought about you know best way to do it. And and it, I do think it's fun for the whole team to be able to celebrate. I mean, the volume in the room when we announced that, how fired up the guys were for for Jeremiah because this guy has been awesome for our culture. He's contributing in a lot of phases, special teams and an offense. Been here a couple of years and totally earned it. Give me an idea because I think a lot of us don't understand um, you know, you can't split a scholarship, right? It has to be a full scholarship. You can't give like a, a half or a quarter to a guy. So how you know, how how does that work when you when you have a limited number and do you sit around as a staff and go, Okay, we have three to give away or one to give away or how does how does that happen? Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean we get eighty five total and you know, you obviously you're anticipating you get a senior class here playing this fall and then what? how many will become available after that. It's always a little loose now with the transfer portal of what you're going to totally have. Um, and so it's a big deal, especially for, you know, Noga's got multiple years of eligibility. We were, uh, you know, we were just confident in what he's going to continue to contribute. He's earned already and contribute for the next couple of years. So this isn't like a scholarship going to a guy that's just in his last season. He's got a couple of years we feel feel that good about him. Yeah, and you know, we got a chance to see him a little bit last week, and he became a big part of the game. Was that by design, or does the, does that kind of thing just happen because the defense dictates it, and you know a kid continues to make big plays? Yeah, you know he's playing more and more. He started inside at receiver, and the ball came his way a couple of times. And you know he kind of we have an axe we take out uh, for special teams, kind of. You know, not player of the week, but just someone that's doing really well in special teams. Well, he had been doing that the first two weeks, so he took it out against San Diego State and then starts in the game. And, and again, we were headed this direction for a scholarship, so I thought it was like the perfect time to come off playing player of the game the way he was blocking. I mean, Gould scores on a huge touchdown. Well, it was a huge block by Noga late in the game, and then he caught the ball a couple of times, starts the game. He's been playing great on special teams and kind of put the icing on the cake with the scholarship. 75-yard touchdown reception by Anthony Gould on that tunnel screen that you guys called in the second half and uh, that really got you going I know after the game you know you talked about DJ maybe missing some throws or guys running routes uh, some miscommunication a after you had a chance to look at film how what did you see after film maybe compared to what you were thinking after the game did it match 
It was similar. You know, I just, we left some meat on the bone after watching the film, and some of that was a misthrower to here, a miscommunication. We're running a couple of choice routes where the guy gets a choice to go different directions, and they weren't, wasn't the right choice by the route runner, and then, you know, we're throwing incomplete there. I thought a protection was a little shakier than, um, I realized during the game, I mean, this guy's got guys around him, people in his lap, he's getting hit, and so you compound all of that, and that comes into a point where, you know, we didn't complete as many passes as we want. And then ultimately, when you score 26 points, well, we left a lot out there on some drives where we kicked a couple field goals, had opportunities for big plays to separate the thing earlier than we did. Um, I will say, I, I pleased with these guys, it's not going to be easy. This ain't a game of perfect. And right. so, you know, you're going to be in some games. It's not going to go well for a series or a quarter or a half and continue to to battle, and I thought they did that. You, you know, it's I, I, there's one throw that came to mind as you were talking about that, and I think you guys are going towards the scoreboard. DJ takes a shot because there's a defender right in his face and just doesn't, you know, he needed like a half a second more to get the ball down the field. Would have been a big play, I think, and I think he missed the guy. But it's it's those kind of moments. Do you... Do do you get that transfer from film to practice? Do you see guys, or do you have to wait for games to know that what you're preaching in practice, what you're preaching in a film session, really is transferring? Well, you you take it, you watch it on film, and you try to coach it up there. But then you got to recreate it in practice. Whether you find a drill to recreate that body movement of those specific things you're asking for in the in the film session, and so we try to do a good job of that. And again preparing your guys for Saturday, but then that's why I'm back to this learning thing. You play a game, you're going to watch the tape on Sunday, and you learn from it, and then you emphasize some things, whether it's fundamentally or decisions or recreating a situation, um, so you're always progressing and getting better. Last year, you physically, you handled Washington State. Do you? What do you see on film from them this year? Different team, maybe some different guys. Yeah, different, different guys, similar schemes. I mean, explosive on offense, tough on defense. Uh, third down pass rush uh, shows up again. I look at last year's, you know, we kind of separated a little bit late, but it was 24-10. They had opportunities. You know, our home crowd helped us defensively. This quarterback is better, I think, from last year. You can see how confident he is. The ball's coming out. they got a couple guys on the outside that can make you miss in space, and they create space offensively with their formations and the tempo they go with. And so this is a good team. Um, and you can see them in three games, how well they've played and, and played well at home. Uh, their their edge rusher Ron Stone Jr. He's been there a while. He had a chance to leave. He had a bunch of NIL offers and other schools. And he's been one of these guys that says, "Hey, you know, there's something about staying where you've been." And I think that's a message you you preach to your guys. But what do you see with him on film? How do you deal with Ron Stone? Yeah, um, you got to be aware of him. You got to use your technique if you're on the edge, whether we're in the run game or pass game. Tackle tight end. Um, he's not just one kind of sided. This guy can affect the game in the pass rush, run stuff. Um, he's a threat. He takes double teams to allow for one-on-ones on the other side. Um, and he's not alone. they got some other good players on there, um, but he does, definitely stands out. All right, so this is a big game, and, and I asked Jake Dickert this. I'm going to ask you this, too. And I, you, you can't control TV ratings. You can't control the size of your market. All you can control is how you guys play it. I think it's a big statement that you're 3-0, and they're 3-0. and This is a big football game. You get a Fox audience. I think it's important that people tune in and watch the game and send a message with a strong rating that, that these programs matter. How, what would that mean to you, to see a big number and to know that you got a bunch of exposure and people tune in to watch this football game and, you know, as evidence that you belong in Power 5 football? Yeah, and, you know, and obviously we want people 
to be watching. I think it's going to be competitive all the way down to the end of it, fourth quarter overtime type game, just looking at the two teams. Uh, you know, another thing that's maybe not talking was still exposure for recruiting, right? You want yeah. recruits checking you out and all, all the eyeballs you can get on the game. It helps on that end. Yeah, you guys, it's interesting because I saw even with – you know, on your on your weekends where you've got football game going on, basketball teams bringing guys in, they're getting commitments, and you know it's big for the it's big for the whole university, isn't it? It is. Other sports, they're hosting their top recruits and basketball and baseball, all of them. Um, it's a you know home games you know, for the recruiting in when they're on your campus, but then you just getting on national television with a lot of people seeing it, talking about it. That only helps in recruiting. All right, uh, this week uh, you will uh, travel to Pullman got a big one coming up after that i mean they're all going to be big i think in conference play but you've got it going you got a chance here for a uh, a win streak of i think it's eight now and uh you guys have been really good it's been fun to watch you fun to cover you and keep it going well i appreciate it man we're going to definitely try to start well this this conference because it ain't going to be easy you talk about it man so just watching some of these other teams and and all of that this first one's going to be tough but they're all going to be tough and we got to be ready for it. Yeah, there's some fun games. I mean, there's, there's, that's the shame of what's going on with the damn conference. I mean, everybody keep, we keep saying <laughs> no it on question. this show. No, it's just no, like, I this mean, is how great. fascinating is that? I mean, in Eugene this weekend, how fascinating is that? UCLA goes to Utah. That's a big time game with players and all that, let alone the game we're playing in. I know I'm forgetting some others, but this is a, it's a great year for Pac 12 football, the interest, the excitement, the intrigue, and the quality of play. Yeah, I was looking at eight ranked teams. You'll have four games, including yours, that are all in linear television nationally. The exposure's there. The quality is there. Um, it's a shame what's going on. I think you guys are trying to find a path out of it, and I think you probably will uh, by the end of the season. But I think uh, all you can control is what's going on on the field. Is, are your guys engaged? Do you, do, you, do you have them asking you questions, or are they talking all about football? They're really, I do think they're engaged. I, I'd be surprised if Jake or Washington State didn't say the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of talk and all this other stuff, but just being around our guys and practicing and meetings and, you know, they know what they can control and, and they're locked. They're so locked in on, on practice football and these games coming Saturday. All right. Good luck to you Saturday. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate you giving us time. Okay, John. Thanks, man. All right. There he goes. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State at Washington State, 3 0. Oregon State at 3-0 Washington State on Fox. Mark Helfrich will be the analyst on the call 4 p.m. on Saturday. First meeting where both teams are ranked. They've met 108 times. First time they've both been ranked. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like there was a 28-year period where Oregon State wasn't that good, and there was about a 28-year period where Washington State wasn't that good. But you got two ranked teams, two really good teams who are both trying to prove that they belong in Power 5 conference football. And I don't even know if that's it. I don't even know if that's accurate, really, to say that. Because I thought about that. You know, I'm interviewing Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, yesterday. And it's it feels I feel kind of bad asking that question. Because I asked Dickert, you know, hey, you're on the field at the end of the game. You are uh, very emotional. You are your team has just beat Wisconsin two weeks ago, and you know you make this statement about we belong, we belong, we belong. Like why should they have to say they belong? I I, I think you know that they belong. I think I know they belong. I think they know they belong. Who are they talking to, really? Are they talking to Fox? 
who, oh, by the way, is putting this game on, ironically, at 4 o'clock, because they're like, that's a game we want. Did they not want those teams? Something wonky going on as it pertains to everything that we saw in the last year. It either was really incompetence and a gross failure of leadership or something else going on. I wrote today at johnconzano.com about the potential for Oregon State and Washington State to become the Pac-2 next season and schedule a 12-game football schedule. This guy named Dave Brown, who lives in Austin, Texas, who is the scheduling guru. He's the guy nationally. He has the database that every school uses. Every conference, every school is a member of his subscription service. He used to work at ESPN. He had 28 years at ESPN. He now has this service that he provides to all the major conference schools and all the lower division schools. He's got the FBS. He's got the FCS. He's got everybody. Okay, So he has all the schools are his clients. They all input their schedules into his database. All their future schedules are into his database. He has all the information in his database. So if you are Oregon State and Washington State and you are the Pac-2, you don't have a conference to call home, and you want to put together a schedule for 2024, Dave Brown's the guy that can do it. So I reached out to Dave Brown. I got him on the phone. I said, hey, how plausible is this? And he says to me, there are some people that are highly motivated to help these guys. And he says, nobody wants to see him in a bad spot. And he says, yeah, it's tricky, more or less, but it can be done. It can be done. Not the easiest thing in the world, was his quote, but it can be done. He said, quote, we'd fully expect to be able to do this successfully. And then he pointed out to me that here's how you do it. And, you know, they have three non-conference games each, Oregon State and Washington State. So they've got three opponents already on the books. Now, where do the other games come from? He said, well, you play a home-and-home against each other. It's not unprecedented. He pointed out that that it had been done in the past. Home-and-home game series have been done uh, in 2019, I believe. You had uh, a home-and-home series that uh, New Mexico State and Liberty played against each other. Not a big deal, not the end of the world. He said during the pandemic what they figured out was, hey, you could break a lot of rules when it comes to scheduling, and you can figure some creative things out, and it's not the end of the world. So he pointed out, you play the home and home, that gets you to five. So now all of a sudden, uh, you've got five games on your schedule, you need seven. So it sounds daunting, right? You need seven games. Well, as he started unpacking it, I started going, oh, they're not going to have that hard a time. Utah could be a helper here. Utah has non-conference games against BYU and Baylor on the 2024 schedule. The Big 12 says those will now be considered conference games. That means Washington State and Oregon State could both play Utah in 2024. I reached out to sources at Utah, and I'm told the Utes are interested. They'll talk. So now maybe you're at, you know, you're at, uh, what, six games now? Six to go? How about Stanford and Cal? Both need another non-conference game. So maybe Stanford plays Oregon State, Cal plays Washington State. Now you're at seven. You need five. I started looking around at who else needs games. Army needs two games. Auburn needs a game. 
Boise State needs a game, Boston College, BYU, Central Michigan, Duke, Florida Atlantic, Houston, Louisville, Mississippi State, North Carolina State, Northwestern, Notre Dame, Rice, Rutgers, SMU, TCU, UConn, Washington. There's plenty of games out there. Now, some of the challenge is going to be, hey, lining them up in the weeks that people have available. But as I asked Dave Brown, the scheduling guru, how hard that is, he said, well, you could also do a trade. I said, what's a trade? And he says, here's how a trade works. Oregon State approaches a team that's already playing a non-conference game and says, don't play that non-conference game, play us instead. Said team goes, why would I do that? I would leave that other team in a lurch. Oregon State says, no, we'll play that other team too. And so Oregon State ends up with two games. Now, some of that can get tricky because you need to find open weeks that work, but it tells me that you know it's possible that Oregon State could pick up a game against somebody who's already playing a game. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think about a team like Oregon. Just saying. How about Washington? It's possible that, that the Civil War or the Apple Cup could still be played in 2024. Those would likely have to be road games for Washington State and Oregon State, but there's a way to get to a 12-game schedule and make it work. If you need to do it for a year. And, yes, I know you're what you're asking me. You're asking me, what about basketball? What about baseball? What about the other sports? Well, the other sports get covered by partnerships with the WCC or the Mountain West or the Big West. You, you need that. I think it's really interesting. Keep an eye on the Pac-2 being a thing in 2024. Leave it here. I'll tell you what I like about what I see right now out of Oregon and Oregon State and a variety of other places in the Pac-12 conference that are all winning. I think it's a really interesting study. Like, I do um, I do talk to, like, college kids, and I get invited to come talk to groups, community groups, and I do speaking engagements. And one of the – I have this, this talk I give sometimes that I just kind of get on this tangent, and I feel like I'm on it today, and it's about why winners win and why people in general – like, sometimes, you know, sometimes people hit the lottery. Sometimes you buy a lottery ticket, you hit the Powerball, you're just lucky. Sometimes that happens. But I don't see that happening in sports. I don't see accidental success in sports. Colorado winning and Colorado having a increase in season ticket sales and merchandise and social media mentions, it's not an accident. You could forecast that making the hire of Coach Prime lines up philosophically with the transfer portal lines up beautifully with marketing and promotion, and lines up with this era of 2023 football that infuses a 1-11 program with a sudden burst of talent. Will they win it all? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I would bet against it in this season, certainly. I, didn't, I don't think Colorado's getting there. And I think we're going to see a bit of that on Saturday. But take a look at the programs at the top of the Pac-12 conference, all those ranked teams, all those teams that are going to go into Saturday's game, including the Beavers and the Ducks, as favorites. And tell me if you don't see some of what I'm talking about on display. I've covered nine Super Bowls. I've been to five Olympics games. I've been to multiple World Series, the Final Four, the Kentucky Derby. About seven or eight years ago, something struck me. It was in the locker room at a 
Super Bowl. I was looking around. I was looking at the head coach. I was looking at owners who were slapping backs in the post game. You know, I was looking around and I was going, I was looking at the star players and I was like, this isn't an accident. And, it, and I was reminded, you know, at a Kentucky Derby, the same thing. I saw the same scene playing out in the winner's circle. It wasn't accidental that the horse, the jockey, the trainer, it was the same as the locker room in the NFL setting. And then I saw it at the Olympics over and over and over again. It was great athlete, great coaching, great management. And in the case of teams, it was great ownership. And so I started to like formulate these pillars of success, so to speak, or potentially these areas of focus or foundation that winning teams had. And it was all the same. You know, there were some principles that were universal to winning. First and foremost was the congruency of vision. You didn't have anybody winning a Kentucky Derby or a World Series or an Olympic gold medal or a Super Bowl or a national championship without having congruency of vision. It was fundamental. It was the first thing. And I think, you know, I, I think you can apply this to your family. I think you can apply it to your business. It was evident to me that championship teams had great owners who understood what the mission is and were willing to invest in it. They had a general manager who understood that message and vision and uniformly were willing to uh, make decisions that lined up with ownership. You had a coach who lined up with a GM. You had a star player or two or a group of players who lined up with the coach. It was just this, this really lean and straight line of vision that is startling to people who maybe follow teams that don't have it. The Trailblazers are a great example. Ownership does not line up with a GM, does not line up with a star player, does not line up with a coach. Like you can see it, it's zigzags. There's no congruency of vision in the Blazers organization. So you got to find congruency of vision, top to bottom. Everybody should know the mission. You start there. Secondary thing. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to the Kentucky Derby winner. Even on the ride at Churchill Downs. Some bad things, some unfortunate things happen. Got a bad pole position. Got a tough, got bumped out around the first turn. Got, you know, a jockey whose goggles uh, had mud all over him. Like, bad things happen to the Patriots. Bad things happen to the, uh, you know, to the Denver Nuggets. You can look back in their history like they didn't get everything right. Like, they drafted well. They've got congruency of vision. But, man, they had some tough breaks. They had some injuries two years ago. Denver Nuggets did. And it kind of derailed them a little bit. But what happens with winners that doesn't happen with losers? It's the reaction to that bad thing, to that misfire, to that injury, to the bad draft pick, to the bad free agent signing, to the player who gets arrested and gets in trouble and is a distraction. What did winners do that losers didn't do? The winners pivoted, and they pivoted immediately. They pivoted with a transaction. They washed their hands of a player. They decided to move in another direction, and they did it rapidly. It's like a snap of a finger. Losers ruminate. They ruminate on the decision. They say, oh, we have so much capital tied up in this asset, we can't pivot. Take a look at the Blazers. We can't make this decision. We're paralyzed by it. Or he's such a good player, 
Why would we give up on him? We're going to be patient with him. You don't see that with championships teams. You see the teams pivot. They pivot fast. They find a new direction. They overcome. It's not that they didn't have a bad break in week five of the NFL season. It's that when they got that bad break, they just kind of pivoted in a way that made sense. They did the right thing. You can blame that on culture or you can blame that. You can credit that with that congruency of vision. It's just evident that that happens. It's one of the pillars of success. See, like I do think we can apply this stuff to our own families. Find that vision in your family. Find that vision for your business. When bad stuff happens, you know, pivot. Pivot from it. Understand, you know, what went wrong. Don't repeat it. Don't ruminate on it. Just find that path. you got to keep moving forward. That's what good teams do. It's what good franchises do. It's what the Oregon Ducks have done. It's what Oregon State has done. It's what UCLA has done. It's what Utah does in its sleep. It, you look at the successful teams in the Pac-12 right now, they are not conflicted about what the mission is. Not at all. It's been fun. It's going to be a fun Saturday for us. we got a great show tomorrow. Dan Lanning will be with us, Oregon football coach. The bald-faced truth is not here for a long time, just a good time.